Look, folks, I'm going to shoot you straight. I am a guy who does believe in some conspiracy theories. I mean, as Mormons, we kind of have to, right? Seeing that the Book of Mormon mentions them and the Gadiant and Robbers. But every so often, a conspiracy theory comes along that just doesn't require a modest tinfoil hat, but like a whole room made of tinfoil. On this episode, we'll debunk one of those. The movie Who Killed Joseph Smith by Justin Griffin attempts to make the claim that Joseph and Hiram weren't killed by an angry mob, but by none other than John Taylor and Willard Richards. Now to help me debunk this theory that attempts to change and rewrite Mormon history is Justin Frankham. Justin Frankham has reviewed this theory thoroughly. By the time you're done listening to this conversation, I'm sure you're going to come away with the same conclusion that I did. That the theory that John Taylor and Willard Richards killed Joseph and Hiram Smith? Well, that theory has as many holes as Joe Biden's memory. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com, so go check that out. I can't tell you, Justin, how thankful I am that you agreed to come on. Um, This is one of those subjects that has weighed on my heart pretty heavily uh, ever since I started this podcast, and something that I've been working hard towards finding. Um, I reached out to Kimberly, and she recommended you specifically that, that you, you had a pretty good grasp on all this. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. It's, it's an important subject. So, Oh, it's my pleasure. So real quick, did you always, were you always a fundamentalist or did you? No, I, uh, I grew up a Jack Mormon, I guess you'd say. Um, okay. And when I was around um, 18 years old, I mean, I, my, my parents, you know, they were married in the temple and then kind of went inactive and I just would become active in church long enough to, you know, get baptized and kind of slip away, go back at the priesthood, just kind of slip in and out of activity. Um, and when I was 18 though, I mean, my mom had told me about missions. Um, and I just always grew up just thinking, you know, that's something that I'm supposed to do. So when I was 18, I just I, I thought, well, man, if I'm going to serve a mission, I need to know what what that is and how to do it. So I started going back to church, um, back to the LDS church and um, became active and ended up getting ready and, and serving a, a full time mission. Where'd you go? Uh, South Korea. Oh, wow. Uh, South Korea, Tegu mission. And, and were you raised in a mission? I was in. I was actually I went back to Korea and lived in Tegu after that after so I actually I uh, was a, a ward mission leader in Tegu for another almost another two years so <laughs> wow so so were were you raised in Utah then um yeah all over well I was born in California I lived I've lived in New Mexico we moved around a lot when I was growing up okay all right I got you so 
at what point do you remember thinking, you know what, something's not quite right here, and, and you begin to kind of drift towards fundamentalist principles? What what was that catalyst? Well, honestly, the very, very first thing that was weird was, I mean, I had a, a really amazing missionary experience. Um, I was not trained in the church. I didn't go to institute. I didn't go to seminary. I hadn't read the scripture. I was finishing the Book of Mormon for my first time on the way to the MTC. Um, okay. But I just had this really powerful spiritual conviction that this is something that I needed to do in my life and that these things were true. And um, so I read the standard works on my mission for the first time for a lot of them. Um, and I read and I just read and read and read and I didn't have access to a whole lot of LDS commentary on this and uh, a lot of interpretive stuff. So I was just reading this on my own and taking it at face value. And I, I so to a degree, I, I feel like I, it was a very fortunate circumstance because I, I, I learned the gospel by the spirit. I didn't learn it from a teacher. I didn't learn it from, you know, man. I, I learned it from the Spirit, and I learned um, how to heed that Spirit and follow it on my mission and had miraculous things happen. So um, it was a very powerful experience, and I came back very, very much um, hardcore, um, grounded in a, in a powerful testimony. And uh, that's when things started getting a little bit maybe weird, though. So, I, I mean, like, I got back from my mission and, you know, so I thought, oh, well, everybody goes to college. I guess we'll go to college next. So I'm going to college. And um, I, I quickly had I, I found somebody. We, I found somebody fell in love, quickly became engaged and started having some issues. Um, for example, I had a word of wisdom. You know, I mean, the church culture was it was hardcore about, you know, this. Um, you know, don't touch coffee, tea, tobacco, um, uh, liquor, beer, things like that, right? And yet, you know, I, all my friends were abusing caffeine. Right. Seriously. And I just thought, well, you know, I, I, I understand that, you know, it's it's words of wisdom. I mean, it's I don't I didn't judge them, but um, I just thought it weird that there was such a cultural emphasis on these things. I didn't, again, I didn't grow up. I grew up a Jack Mormon, so I didn't know about that culture. Sure. And it's not in the scriptures, so I'm getting back, and it's just like, wow, this is weird. And then I ran into issues because I start, you know, I didn't know what I believed. My dad was a, my dad's a liberal, and my grandpa was a conservative, and I grew up living with both of them quite a lot. And, I bet you Thanksgiving um, was interesting around your place as a kid, wasn't it? Oh yes, yes. So my neither, so my dad and grandpa could not talk to each other about politics, but I could talk okay. to both of them about politics. I I took a rational perspective of well I, I understand where you're coming from i can understand where both of them were coming from and sure. as i started solidifying my own beliefs though um 9 11 happened while i was on my mission and i got oh, back wow. and america was different and not in a good way a right. very, very dark way and i started looking into stuff and i just i was not happy about the war at the time and i i didn't get it i was not shocked with this 9-11 thing to be convinced that we needed to go to war in, in, in Iraq. And so, I mean, I'm back and everybody's like pro-Iraq war. And I'm just like, no, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem right at all. This is, seems right. really, really wrong. And everybody starts accusing me of being a liberal. I'm like, well, I guess I'm a liberal then because I don't like this. I don't like what George W. Bush is doing with the country. I don't like this war. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I I didn't like the uh, the a lot of these liberal ideas either because I found them contrary to the gospel, at least right. the gospel as I had learned it. So, 
um, I, I found myself kind of in a more of a libertarian constitutionalist um, perspective. And I just, that was kind of, I could be friends with everybody, but at the same time, nobody really agreed with me politically. And that was a thing because I, I suddenly found myself really ostracized living in Utah. And yeah. like I said, I was, I was engaged and, uh, and she broke it off with me. Um, she broke off her engagement to a large degree because I had doubts about George W. Bush and she knew, she <laughs> knew that he was a righteous, good man. Wow. And I mean, yeah. And, and I just realized, okay, I don't like this culture. Um, I like, I love the gospel, but I don't like this culture. Right. And this culture doesn't suit me. It doesn't allow people to think, um, you know, I mean, like, uh, my all this criticism against word of wisdom, you know, people violating this interpretation of the word of wisdom, and yet they're in, you know, in my eyes, they're kind of violating the the spirit of it, and sure. that's okay. But they're totally fine judge, judging and ostracizing everybody else for for this, and it just the hypocrisy of it just started really bothering me, and um, I became more and more libertarian, conservative, constitutionalist. I studied liberal arts, um, and. So um, just, you know, studying the founding fathers, the, the early history of the country, um, um, economics and all that kind of stuff. And I had a very, very, I guess, different view. And, uh, you know, I, I got involved heavily in the in the Ron Paul um, revolution in 2000 yep. and then uh, 2008, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah. And so but I, I was in the minority because, you gotcha. know. Because yeah. everybody else was either they're pro, um, what was it, Mitt Romney or McCain, I think, and or it was Obama and Hillary, and and I just like I I I don't like either of those options. Right, you know I I've, I've always said as far as, and I think this carries over to the gospel as well, right? When you start asking the right questions, that's when people get nervous, right? And, and I've always said I kind of use the whole um, gay marriage thing. Again, I believe that God ordained heterosexual marriage, right? Absolutely. Having said that, when someone says should gay marriage be legal, my answer is should any marriage be legal? What does oh, the yeah. government have to do with my marriage, right? Exactly. And exactly. so that's that's what I mean by asking correct questions. When you start when you start asking really correct questions, usually the people that don't want you the, the people who are really guarding their power, they'll get a little more nervous when you start asking those right questions. So, so anyway, let, let's, let's go back. So, yeah. Yeah. So I basically over time, um, I found myself drifting more and more from the mainstream church, okay. which is perspective politically, um, because I felt a very strong calling to defending liberty in this country, mm -hmm. protecting the second amendment, protecting religious rights. And, and also I, I, I'm a very, I, I'm a very principled person. I didn't buy into identity politics. And so everybody else would jump on bandwagons where to me it was like, well, you know, no, it's got a, it's got a mat line line up with my values. Right. And so I just kind of found myself more and more ostracized, but I was also, I was actively working to try to promote correct and good things. And time and time again, it suddenly became, I, I found myself in that, you know, in a in a contrary role to the church's efforts, um, or I found the church's efforts to be contradicting and, and fighting against my efforts to preserve liberty and freedom in this country, right. and that 
and eventually, I mean, and there, I mean, at the time, I'd always rationalize it. It's just like, you know, well, you know, they have to do that, or there, there's some, you know, there's some rogue agent in control of the, you know, the PR department, or, you know, I had a million excuses, and you know, they just kind of helped me keep this cognitive dissonance um, at bay because. Um, because here's the thing, I, I, I am rock solid on my testimony of the restoration, absolutely rock solid. And I didn't understand, I, I bought, I bought into some Kool-Aid on my mission, I guess, in that, you know, I, I, I was taught that, well, if, if the Book of Mormon is true, then Joseph Smith was a true prophet. And if Joseph Smith was a true prophet, then, then this line of secession means that, you know, all the way up to, you know, Thomas S. Monson or, you know, um, President Nelson, they're, they're, that means that they're true prophets as well. And, and I didn't see any holes or flaws in that kind of logic or thinking at the, you know, at the time. So I was kind of bought into that. And so I'm trying to reconcile my personal efforts. And I, like, I remember um, when that, there was that, uh, the FLDS raid in Texas. Um, shoot, where was that? That was down uh, outside of Waco a little ways, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. That was for the, you know, Yearning for Zion Ranch. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I, at the time, I didn't know a whole lot about the FLDS. Mm -hmm. But I did know a lot about law. And what happened there was illegal. That was unconstitutional. What the you, police did yep. was not founded. And, you know, I'm not saying that there wasn't problems or abuse happening there. I don't know. But regardless, you, you the police have to have evidence of wrongdoing before they barge in, kidnap children, and start, you know, hunting for a crime. That's that's not the way our government and our legal system is supposed to work. You should go listen to the, the episode uh, Ben Schaefer and I did about Under the Banner of Heaven. And we talk a little bit about this. And Ben's an attorney by law, uh, by, by profession. And uh, he said the same thing. He said it was illegal. How they got the warrants were illegal. Yeah. And, and me not and so me I, not being an attorney and you know I, I'm like well it's probably a good thing they did go in but we have to at least acknowledge that maybe it wasn't exactly legal what they did right I yeah mean, the the approach wasn't legal and right. and I didn't know a whole lot about it, but there was this protest being organized against the government's actions on that mm -hmm. and at the time I didn't I mean as far as I knew you know the FLDS was the only only fundamentalist um sure. branch of the church that I'd ever heard of. Sure. And at the time I thought they were probably completely wrong and out of and you know an apostate. But when I'd heard about what had happened and I think it might have actually I think it might have been um M. Schaefer who organized um a protest out okay. of the jazz game when uh when the uh I don't the Houston or whatever was playing Salt Lake and that was where that stuff had happened and so um there was a, a protest organized and I mean me and and my my best friend we ended up going to that protest not because we're pro not because we were pro polygamy or pro FLDS or pro fundamentalist but just we were pro rule of law and it had been violated right right and we were spit upon it was crazy because I mean like I, we weren't even married at the time neither of us were married we're single and as the as all the Mormons are going into the game and I mean, we're Mormon too they're like spitting on us. Right. And calling us all kinds of vile things. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm just here because I think the government overstepped its bounds and I'm not OK with that. Right. And the it was just I couldn't believe the culture and how how we were being treated because we gotcha. disagreed with what the government did. All of a sudden we were being lumped in with with what at the time I thought was also probably people sinning. Um, and but nonetheless, the. the 
that kind of attitude, I mean, even even I mean, my perspective on homosexuality is that it's a sin, but I don't have anything against homosexual people. Right. Uh, you know, I have issue with um, their political advocacies, potentially. Sure. But I believe they should be. I, God gave them agency. Yeah, and... I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm pro liberty. I'm pro agency. You do you, bro. But don't don't tell me that I have to condone your lifestyle. Right. Or that I have to give my seal of approval. And realistically, if you're seeking my seal of approval, you're probably not real firm in your conviction that you're doing the right thing anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I can't, that's kind of where I, I tend to stand on that stuff. So, so all you... was not well, right. And things right. have been building up for a long time. And finally, um, and I had actually come across Denver snuffer, um, okay. before, um, he wrote, um, passing the heavenly gift. And I had read some of his early books and I actually, I actually, I didn't read all of them, but I, I, I read some of some of his early books and I actually liked them. Um, I found them pretty inspired and they had commentary on scriptures that I had received my own inspiration on that matched. And I'm like, oh, okay, this guy, I'm like, oh, okay, this guy is pretty inspired. I find, you know, this guy kind of has received the same things that I've received in understanding a lot of these script scriptures. That's pretty cool. Um, but didn't think a whole lot about it. But, um, but then I, I mean, I had been, I recently had been married and, and Again, this stuff had been building for a long time, and the, in that, like all my efforts, my political efforts, were always being stymied by the by the church. Ironically, it was the one who would right. always kind of step in and thwart my efforts at at inspiring people to you know a more constitutional liberty type of perspective and mindset politically, and fighting against evil legislation and and bad politicians and all that. And it was. It was finally getting to me, and when Denver Snuffer's Passing the Heavenly Gift came out, I, I, I read it, and it kind of – it confirmed a lot of stuff that had been bothering me for a long time, but at the same time, the book seemed really dark, and I, I something was wrong. I had I, When I had read it, I'm like, okay, in some ways – I completely agree with the, what he says makes so much sense, especially the details and the facts. I thought, wow, this makes a ton of sense. But I felt a really, really dark presence as well. And I didn't like how I felt spiritually. Mm -hmm. um, there were some bad emotions too, um, but there were some uplifting emotions in that, that justification, you know, just like, oh, somebody else is saying, you know, and, and agreeing with these things. And this is, an, he presents a narrative that possibly makes sense. And I found myself wanting to believe it, but at the same time, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't an, a, an emotional, it was, a, it, I felt a spiritual darkness from it. And right. at the same time I was praying for guidance and help. And I stumbled across some bookstore that was selling some of Ogden Kraut's books. Mm -hmm. And I happened to just stumble across these books. I bought one of them because it looked interesting and I read it. And it blew me away. It was like the exact opposite of passing the heavenly gift. It was inspiring. It, right. it, was, it was it was empowering my testimony. It wasn't tearing down the church, but it was reinforcing the original principles that the gospel was restored upon. And I was reading this stuff, and I'm like, man, I want that. I it just I started yearning that had these yearnings for man. I, I, I wish I wish I'd served a mission without purse or scrip. I wish I had, uh, I, you know, I wish I could get, you know, baptized again. I, I wish that, you know, we did sacrament that way and, and meetings that way. And, and I wish we fasted that way. And I'll, I mean, it was, it was, 
it was like, okay, this is actually something that seems actually even better than what the LDS church was offering. And it, yeah, rather, it, than it, tearing, it, rather than tearing down, rather than saying, you know, the church is wrong. And so the alternative is come follow me. It was, well, maybe the church has gone away, gone astray to a degree, but here's how it used to be. And it was like, wow, I want that. That's the religion I want. And I had it, and I really quickly gained a testimony of it. I also had found um, Drew Briney's um, Adam God book. Okay. Yeah. And I read that and gained a testimony of those principles. Um, which I mean, I think I think it's a fantastic book. If anybody hasn't hasn't seen it or read it, um, it's just there's not a lot of commentary. It's just pretty much source doc you know source documents quotes every, from every possible source that that drew could gather together compiled organized and he doesn't have a lot of commentary to tell you what to believe he's just presenting everything that was ever taught or said about the subject and you can draw your own conclusions from that which i did and then i gained a testimony of those conclusions and so having read those two things i then actually sought out drew briney and um kevin kraut ogden's ogden's right son. And became became good friends with both of them, and um, through Kevin um, started investigating fundamentalism. And I mean, I never, I don't, I mean, so I investigated fundamentalism. I you know met with missionaries from different groups, and and Kevin was was totally happy to um, to do that and to, um, share that. And at the time, I was looking for okay, well, if the church has gone, if the church has gone astray, if they're not living the gospel the way I want to live the gospel, then maybe one of these guys um, is. Um, maybe there's something out there. And so I was looking out there, and uh, and I mean, no offense to anybody who's in a group or anything like that, but for me, it none of it was right. I I explored sure. and investigated a lot of them, and none of, and doing and joining any of them didn't feel right, didn't feel correct. Sure. Um, but at the same time. I do have a testimony of the principles of the restored gospel, and I don't feel any animosity towards any of them, um, in as much as you know, as much as they're not doing evil things, including, you know, FLDS people. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't, I you know, as far as Warren Jeff goes, you know, I don't have any really sympathy there. But sure, um, yeah. but I think a lot of the FLDS people are very sincere in their faith. Um, some of them have have families that are trying to just do. The, live the gospel according to the light and knowledge that they have. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. And so, um, so basically I, I became very friendly with a lot of, um, fundamentalists. I'm still friendly with a lot of mainstream LDS and I consider myself, um, an independent fundamentalist for the most part. I mean, I'm not practicing polygamy. Um, um, I, I don't know that I would do that unless I was, um, very clearly inspired to. <laughs> sure. Um, and thus yeah, far, that's, that's a good place to be, right? Is is yeah? No, I I hear you. Yeah, so, but I but hopefully, I mean, my ultimate belief is I'd like to see. I, I I have faith and a hope that this church and fundamentalism can be brought back together again, and that all these things can be brought together in one. I think it's going to need to happen for the for the trying times coming ahead. And so, my personal belief is for most people, I think if if you're in the church, great. And stay there. If you're in the LDS church, that's fantastic. If you're in a fundamentalist group and you're happy there and think that's working for you, great. Stay there. Right. Um, you know, I I, I don't um, I don't want to destroy or hurt testimonies because I think that the LDS church is still the restored church, and you know it might have gone astray in some ways. There might be some things that are out of out of whack, 
or out of place, but I'm not sure I'm correctly in a place to even judge that myself. I just know what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to live. And I'm not in a place to judge anything else. You know, let me say to that, 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 because I do belong to a group, right? And it works sure. really well for me. The, the church I attend, I love the folks there. It works for me. But if, if independent, being an independent fundamentalist works for you, great, right? I mean, and we can share ideas and we can, we can compare notes and all those things. And we can still walk away going, you know what? I love you, brother. We, we don't have to be enemies here. And I think that's, that's probably, that's probably the mark of, of discipleship, right? Is can you have some disagreements with some folks and still say, you know what? I love you and I'll have your back to protect your religious liberties and, and you being able to practice the way you want. I also want to go back to something that you had said early on as you were telling your story of coming into fundamentalism. And that was, you just were taught straight doctrine from the scriptures. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm sure you're aware of who Ruin Allred was. Yes. And uh, I, I read, I heard a story actually just this last weekend in, in church where um, he had been reading the scriptures and talking to his dad, who was a fundamentalist, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he took all these scriptural references to his to his bishop and to his stake president. And then their advice was just put your scriptures up for a month. Don't read them. And that, that kind of struck me as odd, right? I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing that, that, that caught me uh, that, that, that kind of caught my attention about your story there was the, the books that convinced you, if, if you have read Ogden Kraut, you know, he doesn't give a whole bunch of commentary either right it's yeah. just it's just straight fact same with with drew briney and, and the adam god book that's just straight fact right they'll just let it speak for themselves and i think that's going to be kind of an important overarching theme here as we start talking about what we're going to talk about today right oh absolutely yeah right? and so, that's the other thing so too the, is my education was um, liberal arts is was about critical thinking. It's, it's learning right. how to think for yourself. You know, I studied philosophy not because philosophy has it right, but because philosophy, learning philosophy teaches you how to think, how right. to analyze, how to look at things from different angles and judge and understand what kind of worldviews are out there, what kind of philosophies are out there. There's really nothing new. I mean. Everything is just recycled, 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 recycled from philosophies. They just go through the same cycles, same cycles over Abs and over again. Absolutely. And when you understand that, you see something come up like a, a Justin Griffin or Doctrine of Christ. And it's like, okay, I know, I understand what's going on here. I understand exactly. this worldview. I've seen this before. I know how to analyze it. Exactly. And and so I, I think this is a good spot to, to say this. This episode is, is about the the movie Who Killed Joseph Smith? And it's done by a guy named um, Justin Griffin. Now, the reason I, I, I think that it jumped out at me that, that the books that appealed to you, that, that led you to this point where, where you were seeking truth, were books that just spit the facts at you, right? Here's what the gospel says. Here's what prophets have said. And it's up to you to infer. If you look at the, at the movie that Justin Griffin made, he's got to make a lot of inferences there, right? He's got to put forth his, his own spin on it to get where it needs to go. 
Well, it's not just that these books didn't interpret for you. They also, they were ultimately uplifting and positive right. in their message. They weren't, they weren't trying to build themselves up by tearing down where the church is today. They right. didn't need to. All they needed to do was let's let's talk about what had been taught before. Let's talk about the the gospel as it was lived a right. hundred years ago. That's all. They didn't have to say this is wrong today. This is wrong today. This is wrong today. This is wrong today. And anybody can do that. Anybody can come sure. compile a list of all of these things that are wrong, and yeah, that will shake people up, and it might you know convert somebody over to. to your propaganda but that's not the way that the scriptures teach us to do that right um and i don't believe that that is a correct principle to get people to follow you by tearing down what they already believe right no and that's that's the main thing that that, that was the big problem i had with passing the heavenly gift ultimately um i agree with many of the issues that are presented in where the church is at today but but at the same time, you know, um, our snuffers approach to that by we're going to I'm going to destroy your faith in this stuff so you can follow me as opposed to I'm going to show you something better so you could follow me. Well, that's not what he does. And that's not what Ogden does either. He doesn't want you to follow him, which I also really respect. You know, he wasn't trying to build a, a church or a movement or his own organization. Or, you know, he was just trying to preserve the information about the restoration. Right. No, I can I couldn't agree with you more. So if anyone hasn't figured it out yet, this episode is about Justin Griffin and his movie Who Kill uh, Who Killed Joseph Smith. And before we dive into what the movie talks about and what the movie espouses, I think we need to look at Justin Griffin a little bit. From your knowledge, who is Justin Griffin? Um I, I, I understand a somewhat wealthy, you know, business owner who became involved with the Doctrine of Christ group, um, bought into their philosophies and their perspective on things, and then um, basically was able to put forth his resources and his interest to help their proselytory efforts by, you know, putting together that documentary. And, and what's the Doctrine of Christ movement exactly? Because it sounds very innocuous, right? I mean, I don't think there's anybody who's a Mormon, period, whether you're in the LDS church or whether you're a fundamentalist uh, who belongs to a different group or an independent fun, fundamental, fundamentalist who doesn't say, well, the Doctrine of Christ, that sure sounds nice, right? That sounds sounds like something I'm in. I'm, I'm all for. So, so what is the Doctrine of Christ movement? So... That's a great question. I don't know for sure. It, to me, this my belief is that it is a somewhat of a, I guess I would say a secret society. They've got an outward-facing appearance, and then they've got their inner circle teachings. Um, the outward appearance is basically, though, people who just um, really are interested in this idea of the baptism of fire you know, the confirmation, the receiving the Holy Ghost. That's at least that's the the, the theology on which it, it started from. Now, but, now this this grew out of the, the remnant movement of Denver Snuffer, correct? Um, I'm not entirely sure, but theologically, they're very similar. Um, yeah. They're both based on the idea that the church has gone astray 
and the church has been astray ever since ever since um Brigham Young right and and that therefore everything after that is suspect and and incorrect and somebody needs to fix things and get the restoration back on track and you know and it's um and they, their guy you know their guy is the one to do it gotcha gotcha so so Justin Griffin he decides he's going to make a movie and it's tied in real closely with the Doctrine of Christ movement. Explain well, from my understanding, it was more designed as a proselytory, a proselytory tool for them because they're right. bringing people into their group and their inner circle and stuff. And they're specifically targeting people who are mainstream LDS that are upset with things, that have concerns, that are like, well, I'm not okay with some of the some of these things going on in the church you know what's going on at byu this is making me uncomfortable what's happening to the to our youth and uh, i'm not comfortable with this with this vaccine and the church's connections to um you know these health mandates and you know all that COVID stuff and or gun i mean just whatever uh, you know people there's a lot of reasons um people can have especially conservatives to be concerned about the direction the church is going since it does seem to be be moving in a more and more liberal direction and so the doctrine of christ people seem to identify people online that express concerns or doubts and reach out to them and from my understanding they were actually showing the the documentary in private before it was even released in public as mm -hmm. more of a, of a tool like just reaching out to somebody oh you you got concerns about this well hey so do i we should be friends and after building some some trust Oh, check out this documentary um, that was made. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the church is apostate. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and we have a guy who's, you know, come, come, come follow us. We have a guy who's, you know, I don't know what it was exactly. Reincarnation of Joseph Smith, maybe, or, or was it Joseph Smith was reincarnation of Christ? I can't remember, but some, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty far out there, but all those things start getting pretty far out there if you've ever, I mean, sure. Sure. you know, Denver Snuffer says he wasn't starting an organization. But it is an organization. You but know, then he started an organization. Together, they, right. <laughs> and he's the one who presents them with revelations. He's right. the one who's receiving revelations for them. I mean, I, I don't understand. I mean, that's the a, point that's of a changing. Yeah. To the point of changing Mormon scripture. Right. Yeah. To the point oh, of, yeah. Of, of a new a new quad. Right. Here. Here you go. Well, and that's the thing. All of these things seem to have in common is it's like, you know, once you once you defeat Brigham Young then you can basically rewrite the gospel to be anything you want it to be. You've kind of got free reign to just make a gospel that's pleasing to you or pleasing to your followers. So I think you hit on a very important point there. And I remember discovering this for myself when I was in my mid-20s. So um, I'm a huge fan of the Green Bay Packers. Let me start there, and, and this will go somewhere. And I had a buddy right. who was a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. And this was back during the Favre days. And they played this great playoff game that went down to the wire. And my buddy, you know, he's like, hey, I wonder if they're going to play during the regular season next year. And sure enough, they did. Long story short, we ended up going to Philadelphia to watch a Monday night football game between the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles. But in, we, we left a couple days early because we wanted to see, you know, Philadelphia. We wanted to see, you know, the Liberty Bell and we wanted to see Independence Hall and, and all the cool things are there. And I remember I walked into Independence Hall and I got the same feelings I got when I went on Temple Square 
or I went to Martin's Cove, right? The spirit oh, yeah. whispered something important happened here. And that started me down this ground, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And it started me on this path of learning about the, the, the foundations of the country. And long story short, I see God's hand in all of it, clear back to when John Winthrop is bringing his people across and he puts them under covenant. And it sounds an awfully lot like when Alma's preaching at the, the waters of, or Mosiah, Alma the young elder is preaching at the waters of Mormon, you know, if you mourn with those that mourn, stand with each other, it sounds an awful lot like that. So I can see God moving through this whole thing. And then it occurs to me, I was never taught that stuff. And if I'm not taught that stuff, well, I can guarantee my kids aren't taught that stuff. And as I started looking at it, I realized there was something very insidious happening in terms of our national identity. And that was there were certain folks who wanted to progress past the Constitution. But in order to do that, you had to first discredit the founders, yes. right? You had exactly. to turn them into nothing more than rich white slave owners. And once you did that, now it's easy to discredit everything that they produced. And what I think we're seeing with this remnant movement right now, or, or this doctrine of Christ movement, that Justin Griffin is, is uh, playing a huge role in is not so much discredit Joseph Smith, but discredit Brigham Young. Because as you were saying, once you unanchor from Brigham Young, because, Brigham's, because Brigham lived longer, he's got more writings out there. And once you unanchor from that, well, now you can remake this to whatever you want it to be, just like you were saying. And I think we're seeing the same tactic at play. Let's discredit the early prophets. And in so doing, we can remake Mormonism into something that's closer to, to, to our own heart's desire. And oh, if, yes. if we don't get in front of this quickly, we're going to see people leaving just not fundamentalism, just not the LDS church, but Mormonism in droves. Because right now, what we're seeing coming out of BYU is a lot of kids who don't like Brigham Young, who don't like those early church prophets, right? And if they find a movement that gives them the ability to say, oh, you know what? There's some truth there that, that Brigham really was the, the, the biggest jerk in all of church history. And, and gosh, maybe he was fallen they they will go after it they will seek after it well yeah and you bring up a good point here's the, here's the thing my in my experience um i i think i'm a bit of a, a rarity in that i have somewhat disconnected from the church um from the lds church mainstream yet i'm still very loyal to it mm -hmm. um i'm not loyal to the identity and the, and necessarily the specific things that are taught unless the spirit confirms to me that they're true but I'm still a strong defender of the LDS church. And because I believe that that is where you're going to find grounding. I still believe that is where the church of Christ was, was restored. And that is where most people can go to, to gain their salvation. And 
if that's where you're at, then that's a fantastic place for you to be. And I don't, and I wouldn't want people to, to move from that because what I have experienced is that when people lose their testimony and faith in that, they might latch on to something else for a while, but not for, eventually they, they identify the same patterns going on if that, in that something else they latched on to. So then they look for something else. They latch on to something else. And then they realize that, and then they just become completely ungrounded. Yeah. And they're, they're blown about by every wind of doctrine. And the crazy thing is, I, I mean, I've seen people who start hardcore conservative members of the church who find out some, hear some, some one of these um, New Age Mormon ideolo- ideologues, theories and, and perspectives on where the church is at today, buy into that, lose faith in the church and the restoration for the most part outside of Joseph Smith. And then latch on to, you know, the guy who 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 tore that down. But then, what does he have? Generally, not not much. It's not it's not gonna it's not gonna satiate their thirst and hunger. And then they're so they're gonna go somewhere else. And, and next thing you know, they end up they end up new age liberal. They don't believe in the restoration or Christ or anything anymore. And they're just they get completely completely ungrounded. And yeah. that's why I, I strongly feel that people should stay, stay in the church. If that's where you're at and you have a testimony of that, that's probably where you should be unless God inspires you directly to do something else. If that's where you're at, then, then stay there and it's okay. You can reconcile these issues. You know, you don't have to obey everything the church tells you to do. And the church might do some things that are contrary to your values. And, you know, that's, but, but as far as its role as, as, proclaiming the gospel and bringing people to Christ, it is still doing that. Um, and if you, do, if you focus on those things, then I think there's still there's safety and grounding within the LDS church. And so I don't, I, I, I don't want to see people losing their testimonies um, in that. I still have a testimony of those things, despite being an independent fundamentalist. Sure. And, and look, the, I definitely have my issues with the LDS church. Having said that, if, if we can't have each other's backs when it comes time when people start attacking the restoration, we're all in some trouble, right? And, and we better be able to, yeah, absolutely. We, we better be able to say, you know what, I don't agree with what he says or what the church is doing. However, they, they do have a right to do it. And, make no mistake about it right at the end if, if the adversary is as cunning as what scripture says he is he knows that we are more more vulnerable when we're separated so to speak right when we don't have each other's backs um one of the things and, and I'm, I'm not trying to proselyte proselytize for my church here it's just an example one of the things that i loved when when i first did my research on on the church that i attend was they used to go to the manti pageant well the manti pageant used to be surrounded by you know born again quote orthodox christians and they would you know pester and and you know um the the mainstream lds church folks who'd never heard of adam god doctrine who had never heard of you know didn't know joseph smith practiced plural marriage and so they would lambaste these people and and folks from the, the church that I attend would be there to actually answer those questions and, and in some ways almost be a shield from what I could see because they'd be like, oh, yeah, no, 
we still believe that we, we can, you and I can talk. Right. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's those sort of things where I feel like at times we, we have to have each other's backs. Right. I don't Absolutely. have, I don't have to agree with what the LDS church is doing and I can have profound um, theological differences. And I think it's important to realize too, that fundamentalism isn't for everybody. Right. I mean, and, and there's a reason there were, were three degrees of glory, right? Because, mm -hmm. you, you know, there was going to be certain people who felt more comfortable living with a certain covenant, right? And so we don't have to hate each other. We don't have to, we can disagree vehemently and still walk away at the end of the day, slap high fries and say, you know, you had a good point and I had a good point and be cool. So I, I agree with you totally. So tell me a little bit about what this movie's about that that Justin Griffin made. Yeah, well, it, it's it looks like it started out as a better version of the Carthage conspiracy. If anybody's seen that, which is a, a documentary that ended up on YouTube, maybe I don't know, eight nine years ago. Um, I think it was produced back in the '90s, though, um, by the by some RLDS. Uh, fundamentalists basically that wanted to hold on to their beliefs that Joseph Smith never practiced polygamy because of course the RLDS church became the community of Christ and eventually kind of said okay we give up Joseph Smith practiced polygamy we were wrong on that and we're just going to become a, a standard Christian denomination I think but keep the Book of Mormon or something like that. I'm not, I'm not I don't know a whole lot about church a uh, uh, community of Christ but um, but I do know that some of the RLDS wanted to hang on to their to their beliefs, um, and they put together this documentary called Carthage Conspiracy. And from what I understand, that is the very first time this idea was presented that um, Brigham Young was the one who masterminded a coup and used John Taylor and Willard Richards to have Joseph Smith assassinated um, so that they could take control and power and overthrow the church and implement, you know, polygamy and all these things and make all these changes. So that's what was presented. And I watched at the time and I thought it was, I, I mean, I think they were sincere and I, that's the thing, you know, for, I don't have a huge issue with people who believe different from me when they're sincere about it. And so I didn't really take issue. I mean, these, I think these people really believed what they, what they believed. And to me, I thought the theories were pretty outrageous and absurd. I thought their evidence well, I knew their evidence was pretty dang weak. Um, they were, they basically didn't know any, they admit to this in Carthage Conspiracy that these guys don't know anything about firearms and ballistics. Right. Um, and that they researched it expressly for this presentation where they show that it was impossible for the, um, for the mob to have killed Joseph Smith and Hiram. Um, and they present these angles and this ballistic evidence, and it's it's actually very incomplete. And I, I, it's, it's been so long, I don't remember the details, but I do absolutely remember at the time. I'm what uh, so I'm a, I'm a long range precision shooter, and so um, you know I'm not I'm not a professional. I've never been in the military or or police or anything like that, but as a hobby, uh, long range precision shooting is something I really got into, and so. Um, you know, I, and that's something I got into and learned a crap ton about because I was interested in it, not because I had a, an agenda and I wanted to get some evidence about ballistics and, and and firearms to prove a point or disprove a point. You know, I learned it because that's a subject that I, I really enjoy. So taking my 
broader knowledge of, of firearms and ballistics and these angles and, and what they were claiming in Carthage conspiracy. I'm just like, there's, this isn't, this is absurd. <laughs> this is absolutely absurd. Uh, these angles are completely feasible. These guys don't know what they're talking about, but I didn't feel inspired to contradict them either necessarily, even though I knew some people who had watched that kind of got sucked in just because these guys were, these were just some guys presenting their sincere belief. And I, you know, I, I kind of felt bad for him to be honest, just right. because you know, they're kind of grasping at straws, trying to hold on to hold on to their their religious tradition, essentially, you know. And I didn't feel a need to necessarily attack that. And if you know, I guess suppose I suppose maybe they you know damage some people's testimonies, but I mean, I, I believe we're to a certain degree we we are responsible for um, our own beliefs. Um, I mean, this is a this to me this is a principle of 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 life is that God wants us to have agency and he will give us evidence to support a belief in anything we choose to believe. If we want to believe the earth is flat, then, you know, the Lord will let us find things that will convince us that the, the earth is flat. If we have miracles in our lives like Laman and Lemuel and we don't want to accept them and believe them, there's going to be some some excuse or something brought to our mind or the, when the experience has passed, some, some question or doubt that will fill in and, and we'll wonder, well, was that, you know, did Nephi really miraculously um, lose himself from those bonds? Was it God that did that? Or did I just tie those knots poorly? Right. Maybe well, it well, wasn't God. Maybe that was just, you know, he, he and you know, if we, God will let us believe whatever we want to believe. Um, but, if we want to know the truth and really believe the truth, um, then of course we have to subject our will to God, and there's no, there's no other way around it. So, you know, to a certain degree, people that that want to believe that that John Taylor and Willard Richards murdered Joseph Smith and Hiram, if you really want to believe that, I'll, I'll never be able to prove otherwise. Nobody ever will because God's gonna respect your agency enough to allow your mind to come up with some excuse to be able to believe that. Right. And I think I think I read a great quote by Thomas Jefferson once before I ever joined the LDS Church or discovered Mormonism. And it always stuck with me. And it said, question with boldness, the very idea of God, because surely if God exists, he would prefer honest questionings to blindfolded fear. Right. And so I think I think the honest dealer always starts with the supposition of I'm going to find out what's true and I'm going to follow truth no matter where it lies. If we have a preconceived notion and then we start looking for evidences that support that preconceived notion, we can come up with all sorts of things, right? I, if, if I wanted to believe that the earth is, you know, really looked after by the flying spaghetti monster, I'm sure I can find enough ragu and spaghetti as evidence to say he's out there. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so well, and I, the sad thing is, I mean, so first of all, the government education system does not train people to think critically. No. I mean, despite the claims of critical theory, critical theory is not actually about teaching kids to think critically. It's about turning kids against their parents. Yep. Absolutely. Which, if you actually study Dewey, that was the whole point of public education. In the absolutely. First place, was I, to corrupt the children's morals away from that of their parents. I believe. I believe our first quote intellectual president the uh, of the country um the president who was was an educator by profession was um a scholar so to speak 
he was Woodrow Wilson. And he said the, the point of, of higher education is to make, make a, a child as least like his father as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I, I find that to be true. So, but unfortunately, the church, the LDS church, has also chosen to go a direction that does not inspire critical thinking either. Right. It does not encourage asking questions. Right. And unfortunately, and, and I understand why. I don't think it's it's out of this malice. Like I believe the government's doing this out of malice. I think the church is doing it out of fear. Um, it's fear that well, people will lose their te- if they start questioning things, then they'll they'll lose their testimony on things and that is a possibility that is always a possibility but but if you don't have some environment to start questioning things somebody smarter than you eventually will come along and be able to manipulate you and And so it's so important to me that you do learn how to think critically and how to analyze and discern somebody says something is it true or false how do you determine what different ways can you look at this from to just to to judge for yourself whether this is right or if this is wrong and unfortunately, the church kind of preaches a um, an eschatology of emotionalism in the end. Right. And you know, if if it if it's uh, if it um, if it touches your heart, then it's true. And if it doesn't touch your heart, or if it, if you have a negative emotion, it's a it's a bad thing. And I mean, I I think that's a substitute for the spirit. I mean, I've had right. the spirit inspire me plenty of times with very dark feelings of danger. Don't go there. Right. Something's wrong with the kid. Those aren't positive, happy feelings. Those are right. these are like, well, man, I can't get this out of my head. And I'm really freaking out and I'm worried. And I go and I check and, and the kid's about to, you know, wander into a ditch or something or in the road. And and, you know, so you can't just look at it from an emotional perspective. The true spirit can bring emotion, but it doesn't always bring emotion. And it's really easy to confuse the two. It is. And and, and I think that whole idea of um you know, positive versus negative emotion also lends itself to the preaching of a kind of um, prosperity gospel, right? That, that if, if, if you're doing what you're supposed to, God's going to make you rich and just like Job. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and so I I think, I think we have to be very careful with those things because, because you're right. I've been in certain circumstances where the spirit has given me a feeling that, I may not have chose, right? I would have much preferred the spirit to say, hey, man, look, just don't go over there. You're cool, right? And But it wasn't like that. It was more like, do not go there in, in an ominous kind of feeling, right? Absolutely. And, and, and so so certain times, yeah, that, that's how the spirit, the spirit goes. So, and I was going to say, I mean, if it touched your heart and it's that, that's what makes it true, well, then... I guess old Yeller was true, right? That really touched my heart as an eight-year-old boy. Oh, so, absolutely! Right? All Disney, Disney movies, right? And that's a, right. oh, and that's the thing, Disney movies. Wow, they, that touched my heart. Well, I mean, going—it's funny going back and watching Disney movies now as an adult. Even the ones I loved as a kid, it's just like, man, the, the things being taught here are terrible. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I mean, even going, I mean, Little Mermaid. I, I just, I, you know, my, my sisters loved to watch that when I was a kid growing up, and I watch it now, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is teaching kids to rebel against their parents. And if you do, you know, and you run off and you, you go, you know, it's a into some other world, it's going to be better, and there's going to be a prince, and you're going to have this happily ever after. Right. And that's the exact opposite of the original story that Hans Christian Andersen wrote. 
right? <laughs> right. Well, he, he wrote that to teach the exact opposite that, you know, your young girls, you don't just get, you know, flutter pated about some guy and, and go chase after him against your parents' wisdom and, and perspective or bad things happen. And that's what happens in the real, in the original story. Right. Well, and, and I, I think Griffin does a, have to give him credit which really kind of pisses me off but he does a real good job of knowing when to when to and how to evoke that negative emotion to get his point across right yeah. he's yeah. very he's very good so tell me a little bit about the movie Let, let's go into the nuts and bolts of the movie yeah well uh, the premise is pretty simple he's just your average your average faithful LDS Joe, Joe member, you know, uh, Peter Priesthood maybe. Um, and he just loves church history. And so he just, you know, decided he wanted to learn more about Carthage and what happened there. So he decided to make a documentary. And while putting this thing together, he's trying to figure out the evidence. And of course, he believed the narrative, the original um, narratives. And but but he goes there and lo and behold, it this, it doesn't add up. And he thinks, oh, well, that's kind of weird. So he starts looking for um, and interviewing people with alternative theories about what happened. And he checks out a few of them and he takes issues with them. And then finally, he's like, well, he gets together a whole bunch of actors and has them reenact um, a theory that he claims will fit the evidence um, the forensic evidence, which is what he's really big on, and it just so happens to be that it was John Taylor and Willard Richards that 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 killed um, Joseph Smith and Hiram, and you know nothing personal, but that's just where the evidence led him, you know, and his sincere effort to learn more learn more about this, and sadly, he ended up getting excommunicated, and um, and you know he, he can't explain why they would have done that either. Um, but because he's just sticking only to the evidence and uh, that's what's presented. That's how he presents it. And in presenting it that way, yeah, he does a fantastic job, I think, of luring people in, um, people unsuspecting. Um, and uh, but I don't believe that to be an accurate depiction of what the documentary is. Yeah, because there's no doubt from from everything I've read he was well involved with the remnant move or the, the doctrine of Christ movement long before he was excommunicated. Right. So absolutely. Uh, Even before he started this documentary, he had also had already watched Carthage conspiracy before starting that documentary. And that's really what inspired him to do it. And again, I can't prove his motive, but I absolutely believe the motive was that they wanted they're trying to create a group. They want people to join their group. How do you do that? Well, you either have, you know, if you're trying to sell a group, you have a couple options. You can either try to leech people off some other organization or group by damaging their faith in that, or you present an alternative theology or faith and have a better product, so to speak, and convince people that way. Um, they went that first approach and decided that they were going to build their membership by um, destroying people's faith in their current organization and that they would be then the default de facto um, place to end up. And so in order to do that, they need a tool. They need a, uh, a, uh, an excuse to undermine people's faith in their current 
religion and organization, you know, and that current organization that they're involved with. And this was just a convenient tool to use um, to that end and for that purpose. So the the other thing that, that jumped out at me as I was watching that, and, and like I told you before we started the recording, I've watched that thing probably twice this week before our interview. And I, I looked at it. First, I just watched it, right? I'm like, okay, I'm just going to watch this to see how I feel as I watch this, right? Just yeah. to get a sense, right? Try to push out as much of my own dogma, if you will, as possible, and just watch it with open eyes. And as I did that, I could see where it would be compelling to somebody, especially if those folks didn't like early church history, right? Yeah. This mm -hmm. would be compelling because this tells a story of, you know, Joseph Smith had it right, which he did 100%. Joseph Smith is a prophet of this restoration, but those guys that came directly after him, boy, they were corrupt. Right. And so you, it, it, it draws this emotion out of, of angst, if you will, at, at the current church situation. Certainly I have my angst when it comes to this, current church situation i came to a different conclusion but maybe if you were a little on the progressive side right maybe if you didn't like brigham young maybe if you didn't like john taylor and some of the things they said this gives you a very easy out right there is someone there to catch you with open arms and and okay they even go on i i read some other things on justin uh griffin that said that He's even a denier that Joseph Smith practiced plural marriage, right? So they, they've done a real good job in constructing even a different Joseph Smith that would be more palatable. To, oh, yeah. It's pleasing to, doctrines. It's pleasing yes, doctrines. That tickle um, the ears, right? And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you made it a really good point there. You mentioned you, – you called it a progressive. Um. And I wouldn't – actually, I, I kind of like the word progressive in a sense, in, the, in a more holistic perspective. I believe that Joseph Smith was progressive. Um, the, the, the outstanding perspective of the day was that, you know, it was this holy trinity, and Joseph Smith turned that on its head. It was monogamy. Joseph Smith turned that on its head. Joseph Smith was – it was that you cannot connect with God, and Joseph Smith says, no, you can have visions, and you can, and you can receive angelic visitors, and – I mean, Joseph Smith really was progressive from a perspective of the very conservative Christianity of, of that day. Um, what I would say is that these people are actually more woke. Um, and that's, it's so that's funny because they, they don't even understand that because these people believe – a lot of these people believe that they're very, very conservative. And that's particularly who they're, who they're targeting because those are the people who have the biggest issues with where the church is going and are the easiest to – to, to, I, because of that, the easiest to lead astray because it's really easy to point that well the church is going liberal on this and you don't have you don't share those values so there you already have that that creates that angst that uh, they prey upon but the reality is it's actually very very woke and I mean here, we already mentioned one of them it's the the critical theory um, it is this idea of we're gonna go back and change history we're gonna rewrite and redefine history to be um, what we want it to be um, for our own agenda, you know. So the critical theory goes back. You have like the nineteen or eight, uh, uh, sixteen nineteen project, 
-hmm. right? Let's redefine America as as this completely corrupt, racist thing from the beginning, so that we can therefore push an agenda today that all that all minorities are these poor victims, especially especially um, African American. African Americans are victims and can never over and always will be and 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 that reparations are necessary and and therefore and whiteness is bad and 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 the, and especially the founding fathers and everything that they built is corrupt and tainted because it has it was built upon this this racism and well that's kind of what they're doing they're saying everything that the church had had has built and become is tainted because they're rewriting the history about what happened with the secession from Joseph Smith to Brigham Young. And there are issues with that secession. And I'm not, I don't believe that, that, well, here's the thing. I don't believe that Joseph Smith was a perfect person. Um, I don't believe that Brigham Young was a perfect person. I think both of them made mistakes. Um, It's very, uh, Joseph Smith's mistakes are extremely public because he, 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 he published the revelations of the Lord chastising him about those mistakes. Um, but Brigham Young, I think Brigham Young made mistakes. Same thing with John Taylor. Same thing with everybody. It's a, it's more of a modern perspective, I think, in the church that leaders are infallible. Yeah. And well, they cannot make mistakes. That's that's not a true doctrine. Um, right. And when you if you can get past that, it actually makes everything else make a whole lot more sense. And all of a sudden, okay, where well, you know the church can ask you to get vaccinated, and then you can say no. And that's right. okay. That doesn't destroy your testimony because your testimony isn't that the church is perfect and that their leaders are infallible. Right. right. Um, and, but if you do have that belief, and they're trying to hold on to that, basically. Joseph Smith was perfect and infallible, but we can find some flaws in Brigham Young and right. things we don't like in Brigham Young. So that gives them the opportunity to rewrite it. So, that, so first of all, there's the critical theory perspective on all of this, which is very woke. There's also the Me Too aspect. Right. Um, in that Emma Smith claims, and it's it's kind of reverse, but nonetheless, it's you know Emma Smith claims that Joseph Smith um, did not practice polygamy, I, and therefore, I... despite mountains and mountains of evidence to the contrary, we're going to believe Emma Smith, right? Because she's a woman, and and it's because it's a because and she was an important person, and I mean that's also very woke, really. This this idea of well, a woman claims something. There's complete evidence contrary to that, but we're going to believe her because because she said so, because of who she is, because of some aspect of her identity, even the, even if what she's claiming is absurd, and isn't factual and is clearly not factual. So so in factual that even the RL even the RLDS eventually gave up on that and said, nah, right. okay, yeah, we can't this isn't a sustainable You got thing. us. We he did it. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. I the other thing that jumped out at me as I watched that first time, the the words of of Michelle Obama of all people came came rushing back when uh-huh. her husband was campaigning for his first term when when she said to the effect um barack knows we're gonna have to change the you know change our perspectives change our history right that kept coming back to me over and over again and this is what we're seeing we're i i think what we're seeing within within this movie and within this group this is this is very much a propaganda tool this is the the rewritten history right because if you can make the claim that 
um, John Taylor and, and Willard Richards were the murderers of Joseph and Hiram. That and that Brigham Young ordered it, which if I'm not mistaken, there's a part two coming out to this that's going to make that assertion that Brigham ordered it, right? Now you've discredited them. Now you can rewrite it to your own liking. So that, that was the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, I watched it for its techni- technicalities, right? I want to yeah. see your forensics. And it is shoddy at best, right? I mean, it Absolutely. is... It, is, it was horrific. You can't, you can't really call it forensics. I mean, no, it's, no. It, here's this is another place where it's also, I'd say, very woke. Um, we recently just went through, you know, two years of hell because science, because the we, science. Because we yes. followed the science. Right. And this is another area. His, his appeal to forensic evidence. And here's the thing. Real forensic evidence is based off of weapon, murder weapons. We've got blood. We've got bodies, autopsies. Um, the type of evidence that a forensic scientist uses today to determine what happened in a crime, we don't have any of those things in this case. Th- that stuff is all gone. We yeah. don't have bodies to examine. Here's the thing. Working off a death mask, what do we know from a death mask? I mean, the face could have been put back together again. We can't determine entry wounds and exit wounds from a face mask. We nope. just cannot. You cannot do that. Nope. We had a photograph even. Maybe. Maybe. If we had a photograph, it would certainly give us more information. But we don't even have that. Little, But, I mean, so here's the thing. I mean, he makes this claim that, you know, forensic evidence, um, forensic evidence, forensic evidence. This isn't forensic evidence. There is no forensic evidence. Well, and, We and, don't have it. And, and and what he calls forensic evidence is actually showmanship, right? Because when he yeah. starts, like he'll he'll show, he starts talking about the kind of bullets that were used, right? And so the first thing that you see when he dives into quote the forensic evidence is that he has the ballistic dummies up, and he shoots those ballistic dummies, and you just see you know, parts of these forensic skulls fly apart and, and fake blood go everywhere. And if you're not careful, if you're not looking at it with a critical eye, you could start to make assumptions on almost a subconscious level, right? Where you're like, well, gosh, if if that's what that bullet does, wh- why do we have face, you know, death masks now, right? Something must be wrong. So he does a really great job at, at calling implication and showmanship forensics and it's just not there absolutely absolutely we i mean here's the thing even the the stuff that he's he was presenting the rlds perspective on the skulls um but but even there the 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 skulls that um you know they, they 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 the bodies were were exhumed and you have one with pretty much no lower skull at all it's just gone and then you've got another one that that had that stuff intact, and the and the RLDS identified one as Hiram and one as Joseph, um, and they they got it wrong. It looks like I've seen some people putting these, comparing the death masks, overlaying them on these skulls, and the RLDS got it wrong. It was the right. other way around. Hiram's the one that pretty much has no lower skull, so there's not even. I mean, even that. He, that's that's the thing, okay? Because Justin Griffin takes the Lions brothers at their word. The Lions Brothers did this, and so therefore that is proven. No, it's not. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything against the Lions Brothers, but they 
put their theory together based on the assumption that that RLDS Carthage conspiracy stuff was correct. So, so real quick, and tell, tell so, everybody, could, could you tell everybody real quick who the Lions brothers were? Um, I actually don't know a whole lot about them. For I understand, they were just apologists, LDS apologists that wanted yeah. to, that wanted to defend, um, John Taylor and Willard Richards good name in defense of the Carthage conspiracy, um, theory that was put yep. out there that yep that's, um, that's pretty well sums it up but what i but from what i understand though is that they accepted the carthage conspiracy evidence at face value themselves and they said okay if those angles are impossible then and working from that they put together a new theory they didn't question that the that the carthage conspiracy was correct in these angles being impossible though and so that's the thing. That's where this is why you cannot without actual real forensic evidence, it's all speculation and you can't start with any assumptions. And so so they have their theory based off of some potentially false assumptions. Right. Which makes their stuff full of potentially false assumptions. And right. then Griffin can come along and he can cherry pick. From yep. the false assumptions in the Lions Brothers thing, and and this one is I agree with, and I'm going to say that this is a fact because they did something here, and I like where this goes because this this fits the narrative I want to support. But what they said here that would contradict the story that I want to tell, so I'm not so I'm going to say that that is incorrect. But the other, but what what they said here it's irrefutable. Well, he didn't verify it, and even and and and, he, and even if he even if he did. If that experiment or test was based off of a false narrative, trying to, you know, based off some false premises itself, then again, it doesn't even matter. So, I mean, right. personally, I don't see anything wrong with the eyewitness accounts. Right. Yes, there are some issues with it, but here's the thing. It's just like the movies, like, you know, in the movies, there's this silly trope that, you know, you got the good guy who's counting bullets. And so then they're confronted with the bad guy and he knows that they're already out or that they've got one bullet left because he was counting in the middle of a gunfight and all that. And that's, that is so not realistic. No, no. <laughs> That is so fake. Um, but this idea that an eyewitness, I mean, could you imagine being in a room, you've got a mob outside the window, you got a mob coming up the stairs, they're shooting at you, they're trying to get in, you know, they're there to kill you. Are you really going to know exactly what happened to everybody else in that room at every single moment. I think no. that's, that's, un you're, that's completely unreasonable. You're, you're in the middle of a life and death struggle and you're going to count shots. Yeah, exactly. Or you you're going to know, you know, you're outgunned, right? You can just count the, even if everything is a single shot, rifle you know you're outgunned there yeah no you're in full-fledged panic mode you are not counting shots you are trying to not die i mean any kind of situation like my mom was in a car accident and it was a scary situation life or death situation and her recollection of what happened in that was yeah. very very distorted she wasn't trying to lie but she just some other video and some other eyewitness who weren't involved in the accident saw some of those things and was able to fill in additional information that my mom completely misremembered in the adrenaline of the moment. It doesn't make that doesn't know that doesn't make my mom a liar. That doesn't make my mom a murderer, especially. Right. You can't just say, oh, well, this person 
said was wrong on this one little minutia. I mean, that's what the lawyers were all about, right? In the Book of Mormon. Right. Well, evil lawyers. We're going to catch you in a lie. We're going to find some small little thing that that's incorrect. And we're going to use that to suddenly pin this crime on you or to throw you under the bus. And that's unfortunately a lot of what I see is a huge problem in our legal system today as well. Right. Is that, you know, you get caught lying to the police unintentionally even, and they might pin a crime on you that you had nothing to do with. And that's why any lawyer worth his salt will tell you, do not talk to the police. It's not right. that you're bad. It's not that, but if you say anything to them and they've come up with any kind of evidence that makes them think you lied to them, that makes you a suspect all of a sudden. And now they're going to be targeting you. And if you're looking for evidence, then you're likely to find it, whether it, whether that's true or not. <laughs> if that's what well, you want to believe, you're going to find evidence to support that belief. Well, and and, and here's the thing: if, if if we used Justin Smith's line of thinking, we would have to throw out the Bible, right? The four Gospels, especially in the New Testament, because oh, yeah. while while they do tell some similar stories, right, y y the author is telling it from his perspective. So the things that jump out at him that are really important may not jump out to the other author, right? That's actually a, that's actually a really good point. And the more I think about it, I actually think that there's probably a good chance that Peter, James, and John are the one that got Christ murdered. Judas was probably the hero. You're probably right, yeah. Because I because I can find <laughs> discrepancies in what Peter, James, yeah. I mean, between what the, the God, not Peter, James, but between what, you know, and Mark and, and John yeah. and what they, and what they wrote at Matthew, there's contradictions there. So those yeah. stories aren't straight. They must be liars. And if they're liars, and I mean, heck, we can use forensic evidence, right? That right. even and prove, yeah, that they're the ones who who had who betrayed Christ. Yeah. So so it, yeah, and that that was sarcasm, by the way, folks. Anyway, yes. yeah, you could you could you easily use the same line of thinking to discredit the four gospels in the New Testament. And Just what a thing life. to do if you want to maintain a title as a Christian, but you don't like what was written in the gospel. You don't want to live these things. You don't want to be bound to that history. And and those, you know, then let's rewrite it. Let's write some put some pleasing doctrines. Yep. So we'll just yep. discredit the gospels and we'll discredit the, the the early apostles and we will rewrite Christianity to be whatever we like it to be, whatever is pleasant and pleasing to us. Absolutely. I feel like we've done a real good job here of dissecting the tools that Justin Smith uses. Uh, excuse me, Justin Griffin uses. I didn't mean to do that, bro. I owe you something for that one. Anyway, that no, that's right. I'm Justin. I'm actually Justin Frankum. So Frankum, it's, it, yeah. my, my buddy's Taylor Smith. But yep. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, I feel like we did a real good job here of of separating out the tools that 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 uh that griffin is using to convey this well, message there is one more tool oh, technique go I ahead that i'd like to just point out and this is actually another woke one actually it's it's another version of, of wokeism and this is the denial of human nature um griffin will has refused to talk about motive and i'm pretty sure the reason why is because just like the carthage conspiracy the motive is going to be brigham young and and that's the whole thing is to discredit him because that's what he needs to do to promote doctrine of Christ. They need to discredit the restoration post Joseph Smith. Um, and so the motive is crucial 
here, but he's not ready to argue that point yet because that's going to involve speaking against uh, polygamy. And not just polygamy. Celestial, let's, let's be clear. It's not just polygamy. It's actually celestial marriage. And this gets completely um, adulterated as adultery. Uh, <laughs> and uh, completely very, very, it's a very distorted, um, misrepresented thing to most people. But regardless, that's that's where things are going. But right now, he, he's claiming that he's just looking at the evidence. Motive doesn't matter. He's being very scientific. Follow the science. Follow the forensic evidence. We're not touching motive. Um, but you you can't really do that. That's not a that's not a holistic perspective. And you have to consider motive and and what was going on at the time because human nature plays a, a very important role in, in the way that we behave. And you can't just discount human behavior. Um, one of the most simple examples is if it, if you had a mob coming to kill you, is that the time when you murder Joseph Smith? I mean, unless the mob was specifically working with John Taylor and Willard Richard, um, then after they killed Joseph Smith and Hiram, that mob was going to kill them too, as far as they knew. The Carthage if the Carthage Grays hadn't sewed up and scattered the mob when they had, you know, that mob. I mean, they weren't. They they would have kept going. Absolutely. And so, unless they were in on it together, then why on earth would you choose that time to to take out Joseph Smith and Hiram? That's like the worst possible time. Right. But see, that's that's that doesn't speak to the forensic evidence. That speaks to the human evidence. That speaks to the reality of the situation. And that's an aspect that you can't take away. To a large degree, I liken this to a communist approach. Right. Communism just looks at the facts. The facts are that if you work 100% of your capacity, you're going to produce this much. If that person works and you go through that, and everybody's working at 100% capacity, everybody's going to produce this X amount of resources. If we redistribute those resources, there's going to be enough for everybody and to spare. Therefore, looking at the scientific forensic evidence of redistribution of wealth, it should work. It's valid. But they don't take into um, and that's what communists. Yeah. yeah, but they don't take into account human nature. And th that's the same thing. That's another thing that Justin Griffin is denying is the human nature aspect of the story. He strips it out because there is no possible way to rearrange these different groups of people with their different motives and their different situations that we're in to make it make sense. There's no way to reconcile it. And outside of the actual firsthand testimony of a mob coming and killing Joseph Smith and Hiram trying to destroy the church. Right. Well, I think you also miss another big point. If he would have disclosed motive right there, what what was he going to do for a sequel? I mean, you, he's got to have a sequel, right? I mean, you can't just shoot your shot once. I mean, you got to be able to, to to come back to the table to, to, to make another one. So absolutely. Yeah, no, the, that's great. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I have here a list of things that I compiled that Justin Griffin makes um, mention of as his, quote, forensic evidence. And I want to go over just a few of them. Are you okay with that? Now, I oh, want to get I want to get your rebuttal. Mm -hmm. The first one of the first scenes in the in the movie is him standing outside of Carthage jail 
because the the traditional account is that you had a mob on the outside and you had mob members coming on the inside and that they were shooting through the window and through the door as well and justin griffin says i don't see any musket shot on the outside of the jail how would you respond to that um well it wasn't the alamo (laughs) um the if the mob was um 100 yards away from that window shooting at the window um which is about a reasonable distance for them to be um shooting getting getting their shots in through that window with a musket is is uh is very reasonable that's not a you know that's not a, a difficult shot for people trained in in firearms with you know with some skill in, in shooting a, a musket rifle which a, a everybody musket. which everybody yeah, was back then right musket, yeah which they would have been yeah they so, had to to live right i yeah, mean exactly you, now if you, you had to go hunt food yes now if you would have had a a an army of men in that jail with multiple windows and places and and you had an army coming at them and you're shooting then you're going to start shooting from a lot further away you're not going to you're not going to get 100 yards before you start shooting at the building cuz they're shooting back and there's a lot of them shooting back so if you look in like an Alamo situation where you've got a you know more of an army on army type of a situation you're going to see a lot more shots hitting walls because you're starting those shots from a much greater distance out of fear of not wanting to get too close where they can they can shoot you you know where you can fire from cover and things like that so um, you know, to compare it to some of these other things just isn't reasonable. This was a mob that had four people pinned in a tiny room in a building. This was not this was not the Alamo. Right. The other thing I found out, I did a little bit of research. The church, the LDS church hasn't always owned that building. And that oh, building no. has went through several, several um, renovations. Yes. And and to think that they would have that people who weren't Mormon, who maybe had some animosity towards Mormons, that they were going to leave the musket holes in there because it still continued to function as a jail after Joseph Smith died. And there's actual um, accounts of it being renovated. So, yeah, there's I mean, it was most likely renovated twice. Right. Three times, actually, three times to yep. where it is now. The yep, most recent renovation being trying to put it back to the way it was that the church did. But prior to that, they were there were two other owners, and they yep. were moving, moving functional rooms around and all kinds yep. of stuff. So, yep. um, as far as like inside the building, there wouldn't be a whole lot of evidence left. In fact, the only thing really that's left is the door, is right? The door. It's, yeah. yeah, it's pretty much just that door and and the stone on the outside of the building. And granted, yeah, there doesn't appear to be a lot of things there. But I mean, there we don't know what type of lead they were using. We and and again, that getting shots in through that window would not have been that difficult from the range they were at. And there's no reason for them not to get as close as they possibly could for accuracy because there weren't they didn't they weren't dealing with an army in there shooting back at them. So they would have gotten as close as they possibly could. Um, and you know, as far as the reasonableness of some people coming in that way, some people come the other way. I mean, ar- armies do pincer attacks all the time, and yep. and I mean, from the ground shooting up towards that window, especially at from a hundred yards, if a 
body happens to be there in in that space if you hit the body you hit the body if you miss the body then you're probably going out through the ceiling you're you're probably not going to be hitting the your buddies on the other side of of that door cuz the angles right. are different so just right. like a military might set up a pincer attack as long as your angles are offset you can have two people two groups at opposite ends from each other shooting at the same thing without interference not without having to worry about friendly fire right okay the other thing that griffin goes into um i want to say it's a good 10 minutes of the movie is trying to disprove that um john taylor's watch was hit by a musket ball yeah what would you say to that um you know well, the demonstration that he did um, in the video is is pretty dang absurd. Um, he's not using the same kind of weapons. And here's the thing you got to realize too: with the musket, with with the musket, these are these are barrel loaded. Uh, I mean, you, you right. put the powder and the bullet down there, and a lot of so you know, I I, I do reloading too. You know, do, doing long range shooting, you have to reload to have precision. You you cannot even match grade ammo. At extremely long ranges, just doesn't have the accuracy. You need grain by grain to, to get consistency. You have to make sure that all of your ammo is exactly the same. But when you're pouring powder down a barrel, um, here's the thing: if you put too much powder down there, um, that rifle or not that that musket's going to blow up in your face. Right. So you, there's a huge incentive to not put too much powder down there. Um, especially if you intend to be shooting at closer at closer ranges. Um, if right. you're not if you're not going after a, a, a fortified building with an army that's going to be shooting back, you know, if that's the situation, maybe you're going to end up with some hotter loads so you can shoot from further away and not have to put yourself at greater risk. But if you're just a mob and you're showing up there and you're going to be shooting in through a window, there's really no reason to pour tons of powder down there. And so, frankly. We don't know what happened. We could have had somebody who spilled most of their powder and barely had enough force as a as a you know it might have been the same ball size, but it might have it might have left that that the barrel of that musket with the same force as a as a as a pistol. For yeah. all we know. Well, and, and we don't know. Yeah, and here's the thing: Griffin goes out of his way to say, "Well, we can only make assumptions that most of them were using rifles." Right. He makes a big a big point to say most of these were probably rifles. So if we shoot this watch up against a wall with approximately the same caliber, look at what it does to the watch. And again, showmanship it shows the watch exploding. Right. Well, there's a couple yeah. there. There's a couple things here. You got to look at the energy going into that. So, you got yeah, you got to look at the real very the energy going into that watch and the energy going out of that watch. So. The energy going in, we don't know how much energy. We don't know how fast or how much mass hit it. It could have been from a pistol. It could have been from a from a musket. We don't know, so we don't know how big the ball was. We don't know how much energy was behind it when it impacted. Right. Um, when it when it impacted, and the, and this is the biggest thing though is in the demonstration that he set up, he had this thing against a a solid immovable exactly. object. Exactly. And so all of the energy w w from his experiment went directly into that watch. And so, of course, it exploded. Right. The other thing I would say is that the the round that, that Griffin fires doesn't have to go through a wall, a door, 
a window any real large distance it's 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 comparing a banana to an orange right it's yeah. completely the main thing different. is we, just, we don't know the energy that went in and the amount of energy that would have come out is a, is something that really would need to be accounted for as well because yes. you know yep. john taylor was stand was is a man and some of that force went into his own body yep Yep. It didn't just stay in that watch. In the demonstration, all of that energy had to go into the watch because it, he was shooting that watch against a solid, immovable right. object. So that thing was—it's like the difference between uh, like a getting into a, a head-on, like crashing into a wall, or crashing into those um, those contain those uh, things on the side of the road that are designed for you know for people to slide off those right. uh, barriers. Yep. Those barriers are designed to absorb a lot of energy so that it'll slow your vehicle down without just without all that energy going back immediately into the vehicle and just being explosive. You know, yep. you, you run a, run a car into a, a brick wall as, as you know, a big heavy brick wall or a cliff, and it's just going to be catastrophic. You hit something that has some give and can absorb some of that energy for you. And it's going to not be nearly as catastrophic. Right. And, and again, we don't know what that, ball had to go through whether as you were saying we don't know if it was a pistol or a rifle and we don't know what it had to go through in order to reach taylor well we it probably if it, if it was when he was leaning out the window it probably wouldn't have gone through anything if it was right. coming outside right but um but yeah we don't know if it was uh, coming from the musket or a pistol and we right. don't know the amount of powder that was behind that so we don't know the the force that it hit him with the only and, thing the only thing we do have is is Taylor's watch, which shows an entry and an exit. Yeah, well, it's got the dent, right? We've got the right. watch with it where it entered and then the, the indent. And and so, I mean, it could have been from a pistol. I mean, a lot of, again, how is he going to know? His eyewitness account, I think he said it was from a musket or something. But how is he going to know, really know right. what it came from? Right. He just—he was just falling out the window, or felt like he was falling out, falling out the window. And the next thing you know, he's back inside with a, you know, with some, maybe some pain in his chest where the watch had been. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, and he's gonna take, and a lot of that stuff, they're just gonna take the word. You know, the coroner examined Joseph Smith's body and came out with in Hiram's body, and they're the ones that were determining how many, you know, determined, you know, how many, how many bullets they took and how many wounds that they had. And when they mention, you know, in their eyewitness account, I mean, I think they're just quoting what they had heard. I don't think they actually went over to the body themselves and stripped it down and identified every single bullet hole. Who would do that? Right. So you can't like say, oh, well, well, John Taylor claimed that there were this many, that Joe Smith was hit this many times, that Hiram was hit this many times. And, and, and this proves that he was wrong on that. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I, I'm pretty sure he he didn't go over and examine the bodies in that fine of a detail. Um, he was just probably quoting what he heard from the coroner. Right. Okay. Let's move on to something else that Griffin says, which is um, Taylor told all the members of the church not to testify. And Taylor himself didn't testify, although he was in the room. What do you make of that? Um. I think that was a Griffin... very sensible, reasonable thing to do. I think I would have taken the exact same approach. You know, here's the thing. In the liberty movement in Utah, at this point, I have I have become pretty, um, what's the word, apathetic. Um, 
just disenfranchised. Um, I just, you know, when you see the systems rigged against you, eventually you just kind of feel like, you know what? It's probably a waste of time. You go into these caucuses trying to do all this. And like, I remember when we almost had a, um, oh, shoot, uh, what's his name? The last senator, um, Orrin Hatch. Hatch. We almost, yeah, we almost had Orrin Hatch before he, before he, uh, did he die or did he just retire? He or just he died. Retire? He just passed. He just happened to pass while in office. Oh no, I'm sorry. He did retire. And yeah. He, he retired just and then he passed. passed. That's why I thought. Yeah. So when, uh, you know, before he retired that last, that last time we almost, we almost had him and I've been working, I had been working to get him out for a long time. And the local caucuses have that power in Utah because the primaries are not are not done by popular vote. They're done by um, by delegates, by delegate vote. And so it doesn't take an army. Um, it wouldn't take the majority of the population to decide to get hatch out, to get hatch out. You just need to have enough extremely dedicated people that know that that would be the best thing for Utah, that a better representative would do better than Hatch, who would show up at those primaries and, and, you know, and in those caucus meetings and get in positions to be able to replace them. And there was a, there was a movement to do that. And on the verge of success, um, the church asked people to get more involved in local politics. And all of a sudden these caucus meetings were flooded with people who didn't, hadn't studied the stuff that didn't understand, that didn't know what Hatch's record was um, and didn't know how non-conservative he was and how many times he had betrayed his, his constituents in Utah showing up thinking that, well, he's, he's, he's a good guy. He's, he's our man. And, you know, and it, and it saved him, which was right. tragic, you know, but, um, I kind of forgot where I was going with that. The 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 systems rigged, and that's why John. Oh, Taylor... but the systems rigged, yeah. And you know what? After that, I didn't. That next year, I didn't. I didn't bother showing up. I'll be honest. I didn't bother showing up because why? The system's rigged, and if the system's rigged, and and and, and standard and the these standard methods of of influencing change aren't going to work, then then why participate? And um, there's a um, a very good legal explanation of that trial i'm trying to remember where i don't know if i have it here but there's like famous trials website and they just it's some some lawyer blog that just puts for it that does these kind of case studies on famous trials not not lds just looking for any kind of historical interesting right. trials and he did a ton of research on on this trial of of the the mob members that um murdered joseph smith and he concludes in his expert opinion basically that it was a kangaroo court the whole thing was a show trial there was the whole thing was rigged from the beginning and the whole point was to create the appearance of justice so that missouri could be preserved as a land of law and order you that you can't that mobs don't just show up and, and murder people and get away with it and so they put on a, a show trial and there's i mean there i mean he presents evidence that these people were basically promised that they would not be um, convicted if they came back to face trial there was a lot of mob influence at the trial going on and and it would have been an incredibly incredibly dangerous situation situation for um the leader the new leadership of the church to to be involved with or anybody you know i mean they were i believe that they were there that they would have killed john taylor and willard richard if if the uh, militia hadn't showed up when they did I, and I scattered agree. that mob. i i agree totally 
And I, I could be mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you know. But I think with Brigham Young's absence, because Brigham Young wasn't in Nauvoo when this goes down. He's, he's either in Boston, I believe, is when he gets word coming back from an overseas mission, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but so I think Taylor's kind of like taking the helm at that point, so to speak, right? Well, yeah. you, you just saw they took out the man, so to speak, right? They took out the, the man. So if they don't have a problem going after the man and they've already darn near killed you being Taylor, and you care Got for your, multiple times. <laughs> yeah. You you and you care for your people. You're like, don't don't go. The, the this is this is over. The other thing is lay low, let's bide our time, let's regroup, let's figure out what we're gonna do. Cause because at this point, the church is thrown into complete disarray. I mean, it's even in disarray, even after Brigham comes back, right? I mean, you have the strangates that oh, go yeah. somewhere. You you have you have, you know just like nature power abhors a vacuum so you have all this going on and and taylor who's wounded i mean badly wounded he's like just everybody lay low do not let's not give him a reason to shoot again absolutely i think it was very reasonable advice i think it was if you know if i was in that kind of situation if if me showing up at my local uh, caucus meeting um, you know, um, had a chance of a mob being there to kill me, knowing how effective I've been in those caucus meetings in the past, I would, you know, I would probably say, uh, yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know? you're, you would be a fool, a fool to go back up. And the the juice the... ain't worth the squeeze. Right. Exactly. Cause, cause you know, look, Missouri had been after Joseph for quite a while. They got it done. And they're looking let's not forget Boggs's order wasn't an order of just get him out of here it was an order of extermination and they made good on it on the leader of the of the mormon movement right in in their eyes yeah. and so they don't have a problem taking out the leader you know they're not going to have a problem taking out john taylor willard richards any other Mormon that decides to get up on the stand, they're fair game, and you know they're serious. So, and if you know, and if you know that that corrupt is that the court is corrupt anyways, then and and you also here's the other thing you got to consider: um, they didn't even have the right people. I mean, they might have had no. the trigger men, but they didn't have the people who organized the mob there on trial. Those right. were not the people on trial, and John Taylor knew that as well. So, even assuming that. He shows up at the trial. He testifies. Something of what he says somehow gets some of these people convicted. He's not murdered in the process, um, and they actually are convicted. Justice still has not been served. Correct. Correct. So all you, it's all you pretty go ahead, futile. Sorry. It was pretty futile. You know, yeah. there was nothing. There was no. There's really not much to gain from showing up. And no. He knew that. And. It's, I mean, it's pretty obvious. We can look at that, too. And I mean, is the risk worth the reward? I, I wouldn't think so. Right. Yeah. But the the funny thing is, the implication is is that he's hiding something. Right. Uh, which it's so funny because, again, this is uh, there's another wokeism, you know, you know, the you know, it's like uh, choosing not to testify. The right to remain silent, therefore, proves you're guilty. 
I mean, that is not what our country was founded on. A true conservative does not believe that that choosing not to testify, choosing to exercise you, you know, your right to remain silent and not testify on something is an indication of guilt. Right. No, I could I couldn't agree with you more. And and, and yeah, and again, the way that, that Griffin portrays it, right? He doesn't he doesn't ever look at any of this in from both sides so to speak right at least give a at least pretend like you're trying to see both sides of this thing right like you're an honest seeker of truth but again he comes from the from the position of no no this is a done deal taylor did this we just need to prove it all right again it speaks to the motive it it speaks to his that his motive was to undermine people's faith in the church right and, absolutely and the church history it's not really about finding the truth it's about poisoning people against the church okay one other one of the last ones i want to hit here is um his assertion that none of the angles made sense for that let me phrase that none of the angles add up with being able to with the wounds that were inflicted. Yeah. What, what's your take on that? Well, again, um, we don't have enough evidence. We don't have, right. we don't have the details to be able to prove any of that. Um, he, he's got those six points, right? And he's going through and he's saying, this is, uh, this is in this case, in this scenario, he's got those six things. And this one is possible. This one's, not plausible, not likely. I can't remember the word he uses. Um, but here's the funny thing. On none of those does he actually say impossible. Right. He doesn't say that on any of them. He just asserts that within the framework of what he claims is forensic evidence, that his theory makes the most sense um, and is the most plausible. But even if that is the most plausible even if that were actually absolutely true just because something is implausible doesn't make it impossible so even there frankly i i can see people accepting any of the other theories as what potentially happened and there's nothing wrong with that that's a very you know implausible things happen all the time if you've ever looked at a bell curve and on the edges of that distribution, you have those very, very fine, not likely to happen, small number things. But those things still do have to happen, or it's not a bell curve. It's a, it's a peak. You know, it's a, it's not gravity. You know, if you're measuring gravity, that does not distribute on a, on a bell curve. You're not looking at probability with something like gravity. That is a, a law, so to speak, because every time you measure it, every time you measure it that force is at least on this earth on this planet with the with the with mass and and the attraction to mass it's always the same right um there is no distribution of probability there um but when we're dealing with things like you know the trajectory of a bullet i mean a bullet goes through a door um well okay what was that door made out of what kind of wood how thick was it was there a knot there for goodness sake right right yeah. Um, you all of those things are variables, and the reality is, without the active crime scene, like yes, I I absolutely believe that forensic evidence 
could prove exactly what happened if we could take a modern forensic team to that crime scene with the Carthage, with the Carthage uh, militia. If they had a modern forensic team with them and showed up at the exact same time, they could reconstruct every bullet. They could trace, um, they could trace exactly what happened, but they didn't have that. And, and we now don't have the evidence. They didn't have the technology. We have the technology, but we don't have the evidence now. So to, I don't know. It's, it's just absurd. It's just it absurd is. to try to make a forensic evidence argument about what happened at this point. And regardless of what happens, everything is possible. Everything that every theory presented, I think could be true. Including, including technically his, I think that's one of the most personally, I think it's one of the most implausible for, for a lot of reasons, especially, um, as presented in the in his film that reenactment to me that that reenactment was probably one of the most even just based off of the evidence the, the right. forensic evidence that's that's um, where i was going that next, seemed to be yeah. one of the most least likely scenarios in actuality but regardless even that one we don't have enough evidence to be able to completely disprove that and so it really kind of again comes down to what do you want to believe if you want if you have a if you have a beef with the church and you're looking for an excuse to say sayonara and to justify um walking away from that then you know hey here's a reason yeah you know but you don't need justin griffin to do that you, you know i mean anti-mormons have been around providing that opportunity for for a long time, and ultimately, yep. I don't really see that big of a difference between right. him and, and your regular anti-Mormon, because no. ultimately, I believe he's leading people away from away from Christ. Yep, I think so. All right, the last one I want to go over, you hit on a little bit that reenactment, which I found absolutely absurd. So, one, never in the movie does Justin Griffin like give a narrative of what he thinks happened instead he leaves it to actors to depict what we can only assume are are griffin's um ideas about what went down in that room yeah and the the first thing i find just totally implausible is joseph goes out the door to confront the mob to fire some shots yeah now, He's in the move in, in, in his movie, it shows like he's gone for a good 10, 15 seconds, right? Oh, yeah. Which again strikes me as a little long, right? If you're going out there and you know you're outgunned, you're probably gonna squeeze off a couple quick shots and then take cover again. But in that time, let, let's just say for, for argument's sake, he was gone that long. It shows um John Taylor attend uh, an attempted attack on Hiram Smith. Now, from all historical evidence, Hiram Smith stood about six foot one, six foot two, which was big for that time. John Taylor was significantly smaller. I did a little bit of looking. They figured he was about five nine. Yeah. Now, it shows him wrestling around, and Taylor gets shot first. He gets shot in the leg. Yet somehow being wounded, being outmatched physically, he somehow manages to wrestle his way around Hiram to where he puts the gun under his 
jaw and then shoots him. I don't know about you, but that idea seems absolutely preposterous. Um, yes, as presented, I would argue near pretty much impossible. Um, right. That's not a, and I don't, I don't know where he stands on this now. Um, I think he might have he gone. I maybe he's working on a new theory because I mean I think, um, I think possibly in response to some of these things that people have presented about him, he has realized that there are some flaws in in the theory that his actors presented for him. Um, and so I think he is possibly going back to the uh, the shot going in through the nose, out through the through the neck again or something. I don't know. I don't know really. Um, but regardless, as presented in that, there is just there is just no way somebody shot in the leg and smaller stature is going to be able to wrestle a pistol underneath somebody else's neck at such an angle to fire a shot. Um, and there's no reason to. There's absolutely no reason to. If you've got if you've got that pistol, um, you would take that shot if that's what you intended to do, um, and hit a more likely to cause death and injury location a heck of a lot sooner before you could even before you'd get it that close. Right. Uh, the only thing that would make sense if that is the sh- if that's the, what he's trying to argue is that the shot went in through there and out through the nose would be more of a Hiram trying to commit suicide because you actually do see injuries like that happen where people try to commit suicide. They put a gun under their under their neck, under their chin, mm-hmm. and pull the trigger thinking it's going to go through their brain and instead it blasts out through their nose and they're horribly maimed and in terrible pain but they don't die. That's right. Not, that's not. I mean. If you had a not with a pistol at least, um, not I wouldn't even say with a handgun. With a rifle, there is a possibility something like that could kill you just because there's so much more energy. You get this hydrostatic shock effect. You could get fragments of of a bone blasting with such force into the brain and other stuff. But with a pistol, that's that's not a that's not a very serious shot. Right. It would be pretty miraculous for a shot like that to cause death. It'd be a bigger miracle for some to be resisting somebody, especially somebody injured and be able, and for them to be able to get a firearm in that position on you. Um, and so, I mean, it's the, if we're looking at from probable versus improbable, that's one of the most absolutely improbable things presented in the entire documentary. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more likely that John Taylor was falling out the window and was shot back in with a with a with a musket. I right. think that's significantly more likely than wrestling with somebody while injured, while smaller and while injured and getting a a firearm to that position and then getting a shot off and that shot somehow killing the person. Yeah. Yeah, I remember as I watched it that second time around with just my technical eyes, right? Yeah. And I'm like I find more probability in Rambo or John Wick than I do in in this particular scenario because it's just it's it's outside the realm of of, of reasonable assumption oh yeah it, re- it requires the faith of an evolutionist <laughs> it really does right yeah it, it, it really does and 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 the reason i i brought that one point up is that the rest of the narrative that that uh griffin paints is entirely dependent upon the preceding events of Hiram uh, being killed by John Taylor while wounded, right? 
to the point because because he makes the he goes on to later to show that joseph comes back in the room he sees that hiram's dead taylor's done it and then taylor gets the rest of his wounds from joseph smith and the the i it all hinges on that one fact of a wounded smaller taylor being able to still get the drop on a healthy strong you know if if there's one thing we know about the smith boys it seems to be they were athletic and strong and so again it all seems to hinge the rest of his story on that one moment well of, of taylor getting the drop i think it's actually less probable in a different direction on the let's hypothetically if, if somehow john taylor was able to do that to hiram if joseph smith came back in that room and saw hiram um the first thing he would probably do i think which was depicted was he'd, he'd run over to him and see, right. you know, see if he's okay what's happened to his brother right um would be his first concern before who did this would be is he okay what's going on why is he lying there what happened to his face I didn't even think about that. How did how and in Joseph, that context? Yeah. In that context, I don't see how. I don't see it in that context how John Taylor would take any wound. I mean, at that point, Joseph Smith is sitting duck. Right. He wouldn't expect John Taylor and Willard Richards to have been involved in some conspiracy to have, have killed them. And so, with his back to them or coming in the room and the shock of what happened, he would probably be thinking maybe. He got hit by well. First of all, his his final reenactment. I don't think he shows how that hole came in the door. Mm -mm. Does he? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. So let's add some. Let's let's help fill in that hole for him. Let's present. Let's pretend that mob when they first showed up, put a shot through that door, and that's what prompts Joseph Smith to then run from cover and chase them. As as highly probable as that is as well. But let's just go with that. Fill in that hole for him. Um, Joseph Smith comes back into the room. Oh. Hiram's on the ground. Oh my gosh, that shot that went through. Maybe, you know, maybe somehow it, it hit him. He wouldn't be thinking, John Taylor did this. I'm sure of it. So he would run up to him, see if he's okay. Imagine that he just ran the mob off, so things are okay. Now he's safe. Now his guard's down. Um, He'd be a sitting duck. Right. I don't see how, at the, from that situation, that John Taylor would take any more wounds. Right. Because he would have had the drop on Joseph the second... Because everything we know about Joseph's character, right? And from what was said previously, he, he goes to his brother, right? Yeah, and, and I think that would make sense for him to run to his brother and not and not suspect and think that somehow the mob must have shot him, the mob that just showed up that he shot back at. Here's the thing. Would, would Joseph Smith have shot um, bullets at people, potentially killing them, potentially taking their life if he didn't believe that him and his friend's life were at risk? No. No, he wouldn't. No. no. So he, if he believes that their lives were at risk and he runs back into the room and finds Hiram lying on the floor bleeding and, and possibly dead, then, well, it's pretty reasonable to assume the mob did it somehow. Right. And his first thoughts would be, is my brother okay? Not not just uh, John Taylor must have done this, and oh, I better I better shoot him in revenge. Right. Or yeah, no. I, he wouldn't be yeah. aware. He'd be completely off guard. Yeah, that was something I hadn't even thought of as I watched it. But yeah, so yeah, I, I think. But in the realm, it's, it's such it's such a realm of speculation. I mean, here's the thing: there's no evidence at all that 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 John Taylor and Willard Richard were armed. No, 
Where where's he? I mean, he's 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 making stuff up to create a narrative where they're the murderers. He's making stuff up. Well, what, what's funny is I believe it's Dan Jones that was in there as well. Dan Jones hands Joseph Smith a pepper box musket. Right. We know that that's true. And what's funny is, is that Justin uh, uh, Griffin makes this assertion. Well, we know that that the pepper box gun that Joseph received from Dan Jones was sold to Dan Jones by John Taylor. So John Taylor probably bought another one. And that's the gun he speculates John Taylor uses. And I'm like, dude, I mean, you you've done some mental gymnastics here to fill in holes that would astound even the best gymnast. Yeah, exactly. So, but you know, we we've done almost two hours here and I feel like we've done a real good job of, of picking this thing apart. Is there anything else you wanted to go over about this, this movie that, that Griffin's done? Well, I think in the future we're gonna see some some slippery some slippery um, some um, we're gonna see some some sneaky moves from him. I think he's going to he's presenting himself as this sincere seeker of truth, and that gives him to a certain degree some liberty to be able to revise um, his narrative and his story, which he basically can do um, ad infinitum. I mean, he can just continue to, you know, as we present evidence against his theory, he can just make up new stuff to 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 fit, fill in those holes. And so I don't think that this is just going to go away. I don't think proving his theory as impossible even is going to make him go away. He's just going to come up with a, a new, improve, new and improved theory, just like a... Um, you you aren't so we're not going to we're not going to fight him that way. I don't think we're going to fight him on the narrative of the story. I think that it's important that we fight him from a more principled standpoint of exposing who he truly is. I mean, here's the thing. If at the beginning of the documentary, if he had just come out and said, "Hey, this is I'm a member of this organization. I feel very disenfranchised by the church and I created this documentary to try to prove that, you know, that John Taylor and um, Lord Richard murdered Hiram and Joseph Smith in order to push this theory that Brigham Young ordered that hit as part of this conspiracy to basically explain why the church isn't what I want it to be today. If he had just come out and said that, you know, I don't think anybody would be taking him seriously. I don't think he'd be destroying the testimonies that he's destroying. Right. Um, and especially if he came out and actually said what these these doctrine of Christ people's actual beliefs are, which, um, which there's a there's a YouTube video. Um, let me see if I can find the. Do I have a link to that? Well, maybe you can just add it to the notes later, a link or yeah. something like that. To, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he he does this interview and and he digs it and they dig into more of what these doctrine of Christ people actually believe. And it's pretty scary. It's it's pretty wild and far out there, and it's not at all. It's it's incredibly heterodoxical. It isn't at all, you know, just people who are getting together trying to explore, you know, you know what the baptism of fire means and how to truly become 
uh, confirmed and to receive the Holy Ghost. That might be where it started, um, but that's not where it ends. What they're doing is essentially they've got they're doing their own baptisms. They they're doing they've created their own church is really what it is, but they're denying it. Just kind of like Snuffer says he didn't start an organization. You know they're claiming the same thing. It's not an organization. It's just a group of people getting together. Um, but it's a group of people that happen to be getting together and claiming that, you know, that they've got the correct restored authority and that they're the, they're the, whatever, they're the man, they're the, the person to fix the, the inspired prophet to fix the new restoration. Um, and they're not presenting themselves that way because they know that they wouldn't get any attractions. So they're going about this through a method of deception. And so what needs to be done, in my opinion, is rather than trying to argue against the facts, because he'll just come up with, I mean, he can make up an infinite number of, of absurd theories. It's just like these flat earth people. You know, you see these flat earth people and, you know, they present their theories on how the earth is flat. And then a scientist or somebody, even non a scientist, can kind of say, well, this doesn't make sense. How do you explain this? Oh, shoot. Okay. Um, and then right. next you know, they've got a new model. Right. And then you say, well, how do you explain this? Oh, and the next thing you know, they've got a new model. Never do they actually decide that, okay, maybe the earth isn't flat when presented with evidence and evidence and evidence. They just keep coming up with new, slicker, and more complicated models trying to hold on to that theory. I think he can do the same thing. So disproving his theory doesn't really put an end to it. But I think really does is calling out the actual motive and and the actual intent of what him and his organization are trying to do so i guess in that regards like you know and the the most important thing to me here's the thing i didn't i probably could have come out and spoken against carthage conspiracy way back when but i wasn't particularly inspired to because i wasn't i didn't i wasn't that worried about it people who were going to watch that and buy it believe in it were clearly already a long way down the path of wanting to believe that and who who be it for me to to tell them what to believe if that's what people want to believe same thing with flat earth stuff i could probably put out a video disproving flat earthers i know there's a lot of people out there doing that on youtube um that's not how i want to spend my time i don't you know if people want to believe that whatever they can believe that i'm not threatened by that but this was different there's a reason why i decided i need to I need to come forward and start speaking against this. And that's because of the false representation. That's because of the manipulation and the uh, the false pretense. It's about manipulating people and destroying faith. And that's, he's not sincere. And that's why this needs to be approached and people need to start talking about this. And I, I feel really bad that we don't see more. I mean, I think that it's great that, um, that Kimberly got involved as part of the LDS church and a member of like the, um, is it the, what is it? The Joe Smith foundation. Yeah. Um, that's great. But I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, of LDS, um, apologists out there. Um, I, I hope to see more people from the LDS church come forward using their own knowledge of history and well, in reality, <laughs> right. And, and their own expertises in in these things like you know i'm not in law enforcement i'm not a lawyer i'm not um i'm not a forensics expert but i know there are lds forensics experts actual ones out there not not people who are part of this doctrine of christ group who would look at this and i mean i, I there's no way a, a serious forensic um investigator would 
put their name on any kind of theory presented. They all say there's no, there's not enough evidence to do any kind of forensic investigation. There's right. not enough evidence to do that. There's no way to come to any kind of conclusion with this little evidence. That's not how they operate. The forensics right. experts of today that kind of come to those conclusions, they've got bodies, they've got bullets, they've got blood, they've got murder weapons, they've got powder burns, they've got all of this stuff. What do we have? We've got uh, we've got some skulls, we've got um, a bullet hole in a door, and we've got a shirt. Right. That is, there is no serious forensic investigator that would dare present any kind of conclusive, um, verified, absolute, this is what happened with that much evidence. They'd all, they'd laugh. Right. No way. So where is that? Where is the LDS forensics expert who works, does this day in and day out to come forth and say that, you know, I am a forensics expert and this is not how forensics science works. It's funny you should ask. I've actually looked for one and they don't want to talk to me. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They, they, they just don't want to talk to the crazy fundamentalist that's got a microphone. So, um, <laughs> well, I think it might also be threatening too in that it's where this is going is somewhat distasteful to the LDS member mm-hmm. because I think that the people who are sharp enough to potentially discredit Griffin aren't coming forward because they know that ultimately where he's going is to speak out against polygamy and a lot of people don't like that right they also don't like that part of the history they don't like right. that part and so i think that might be a, a, one of the reasons why we're not seeing such a robust defense coming from the lds church sadly because they're the most equipped having the numbers and the number of experts and the I mean, there's just, to me, it's insane that we don't have 500 videos debunking this by general members of the church that know their history and have expertises and things that can. Right. Hold. Why is it that it's, 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 it's fundamentalists and, and, and a few, you know, lone people in, <laughs> in the Joseph Smith foundation speaking out against this? Yeah, no, it's, it's a little disheartening because look, I've said it before on this podcast and I'll say it again. The reason I have y- folks like you want is because you're way smarter than I am at a lot of things. I'm a clown with a microphone, right? And it is disheartening that these subjects are, are, are having to be broached by someone like myself, right? Your folks like you are my saving grace to have on because you, you have a level of credibility on this that I don't. And well, it's, I mean, I don't know that I have a ton of credibility. I, I am a I am a critical thinker, though. So I mean, I well, I I think I think you've done an, a, enough research. You're you're a long range shooter. You you do bring an, an an air of credibility here. But let me back up here and and go back to something you had said that that what we're going to see is is Griffin just because he he veiled himself in that cloak of invincibility in that I'm just. I'm just a dude looking for answers, right? Is, is kind of how he yeah. presented it. At some point, we may have to have the really uncomfortable argument of going doctrine for doctrine, right? And say, look, yeah. if, and that might be where this thing ultimately heads, right? Because I'll be honest with you, again, bringing on someone smarter than me, it's something I hadn't thought about was him coming back with, a, with another theory right 
at some point we may just have to be able to make the distinction that maybe the doctrine of Christ movement movement isn't as much Mormon as they try to proclaim. And maybe if, if that's the way we can, can set up that, um, that scenario, maybe, maybe that's how we preserve some people's faith in Mormonism. Yeah. Well, it might be, it's a place that I kind of don't want to go just from, uh, Me I, don't either. Like the, I, I don't like the idea of criticizing other people's beliefs, even when they're, I don't, I don't they're, either they're religious belief, even when I don't agree with them, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of people I don't agree with, but I try not to attack their doctrines. Um, but I do think that maybe they should just speak for themselves and that's what they're not allowing to happen. Right. They're not allowing them to speak for themselves. I mean, that's one of the things that at least, you know, I, like I said, I investigated all kinds of different fundamentalist groups and, and, uh, at, at the, at the least I could say for them is that they, they're willing to share what they believe and, you know, right. it might not be for most people. It might not have been right for me, but at least they're not trying to trick you. At least right. they're not going around pretending to be one thing when they're actually something entirely different. And that's, right. that's again, that's what really bothers me about what he's doing. And that's why me, who, I mean, yeah, I've got a lot of life experience and some, some um, expert knowledge in some of the things that he presented. Um, and I know a lot about the history. Uh, church history and stuff to understand. I mean, my from my biggest angle is is the motive. Um, as far as like expertise goes, though, in the in the in the the uh, in my explorations and study of of church history, a lot of that went back to you know Joseph Smith's Quorum of the Anointed and what was really theologically happening with the church back at that time. And when you understand that, when you understand why William Law um, left, why Sidney Rigdon left. Um, why Oliver Cowdery left? When you start looking at this kind of stuff from that kind of perspective, it it the, this the only narrative that makes sense is that Joseph Smith was introducing this celestial law. Most people and a lot of people, even people who had been very true to him previously and had testimonies and faith in the Restoration, it was more than they could bear, and it created enemies out of friends. Some of which just some like Sidney Rigdon just said, "Hey, you know what? I'm not okay with this. Peace out." Others right. like William Law said, "I'm not okay with this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dedicate my life to destroying you." And in, in your right. Well, and I think you bring up a good point, right? Joseph. Joseph was kind of a radical for his time, right? Because let's yeah. not forget, he's not just introducing new scripture that testifies of Christ. In some ways, he's upsetting social norms right? He's talking about working together to build a society. He is talking about, you know, plural, celestial plural marriage, and that 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 sort of stuff upsets Victorian era, Jacksonian American. Oh, he's telling us that social norms like God. Yeah. He's saying that God was once like us. Yeah. Those things, those, those are, those are, um, that's, that's as, that's as blasphemous as, as Christ saying that he's, <laughs> that he's the yeah. son of God. You know, those are things that in his time, in his day, there was no, today, that's not that wild anymore. We've got new age movements and all kinds of people saying that, you know, claiming that we're already God. <laughs> right. So it doesn't seem as radical, but in Joseph Smith's day in conservative Christian America, coming out and making these kinds of claims, presenting these kinds of doctrines, it was incredibly radical and progressive. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. 
And so I don't think progressive inherently is a bad thing. Um, well, like like everything with the, the hardcore left, we have to we have to kind of debunk them on their terms, so to speak, right? They because they're really good about being able to switch labels. So when I make the term progressive, I'm talking about you know big big government social experiment kind of stuff right yeah and i understand that but unfortunately that's a term that i think has somewhat been corrupted because yep i actually even consider myself somewhat of a progressive in that regard i think that the restoration continues to move forward and you know a lot of people in fundamentalism today and in the church are keep looking back and look looking to the past to try to find answers and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but i think ultimately the restoration is continuing and that it hasn't been frustrated that there might be setbacks but these things are prophesied of and ultimately there will be a body of of saints that will endure persecutions and endure a refining fire and be ready to establish zion and zion will, will rise from below as it descends from above and that the whole earth will not be wasted at its coming all right and in order for that to happen you know, you got to trust that God's hands on that will and certain things might look like setbacks. But I mean, I don't know. That was one of the biggest things to me was, I mean, I guess I could sum up my journey in, in, in this way. The Book of Mormon is probably the most precious book to me than any other that, I, that I've ever that I've ever had. And I've read a lot of books. I'm a collector of a lot of books. But um, when I was first Gained, my that my first testimony of the Book of Mormon was when I when I was going to go on a mission and I knew that this book would was teaching that that um, was going to teach me how to bring people to Christ and that's what its message was and then when I was on my mission I realized that now this book is uh, this book is teaching me how to come to Christ right this is a message for me it's calling me to repentance and then I got back from my mission and I realized. This book isn't just calling me to repentance. This book is calling our country to repentance. It's calling yep. our government to repentance. Yep. And then finally, I realized this book is calling our church to repentance. Yep. Yep. And that that is that is my evolving um, testimony of the Book of Mormon. It's not replacing. It's it, it's added upon. It's a book that will teach you how to call people to repentance. It'll. It's a book that teaches you to repent. It's a book that tells us that our country is is out of alignment and out of order with God's will and needs to repent. And then finally that it, it teaches us that, you know, that our churches are corrupt and, and need to repent. Absolutely. I want to sum up in just this way, going back to the movie a little bit. I think if we looked at the quality of quote forensics that was done by Griffin, if we look at the quality of evidence, if we look at the fact that there's a lack of motive, his use of emotion to drive his narrative, and his um, showmanship in terms of how he puts it all together, versus the historical accounts that we have from Taylor, from Richards, from the mob members themselves who bragged about killing Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith. I think the preponderance of evidence 
if would would land on the side of the historical account that we've had for quite a while probably still holds water better than griffin's account agree or disagree you don't think that a mob would be willing to work with people that want to overthrow joseph smith to institute polygamy I, yeah i'm just saying yeah no i don't think i don't think they'd be down for that so well, you might have a point there so yeah. i guess so i guess i mean preponderance of the evidence yeah and i mean he he makes this claim that he's not calling john taylor and Willard richard murderers he's just presenting forensic evidence and, and that's such a lie that's it such is. a lie that, yep. is, that is not true at all if i were to if i were to say hey i happen to be over at if this person died in 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 justin griffin's neighborhood and i happened to be there and i said hey i saw this and i start presenting some forensic evidence that all point to him um then yeah i'd be you know if i was in court if i was called to a court case i and and be asked to testify as a witness if i was summoned that i'd be there as a as a witness basically calling him a murderer that's what i'd yep. be speaking to yep and that's exactly what he's doing he doesn't want to take the responsibility of that but that is exactly when you come up with a theory and you say the only plausible thing here is that this happened that's what you're doing and he's not addressing that so what does that mean you know, I mean, here's the thing. Could you imagine if you if you believed, if you honestly believed that that Peter, James, and John murdered Christ, and that Judas was the hero there, if you truly believed that that that's what happened from forensic evidence, would that not affect your faith in the Gospels? Would sure. that not affect your faith in in the in the in the teachings and the later revelation of John and wouldn't that call all of that into question? Wouldn't they have ramifications? The ramifications. Kind of are... ends... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Say, go ahead. The, 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 the ramification would be you have to rewrite, quote, traditional Christianity all over again with a new narrative. Yeah, yeah exactly. And he's denying that. But uh, that's that's absurd. Nobody, I, nobody could believe the things that he claims he believes and not have to disconnect them and have to not have to say, okay, well then we need a new narrative. We need a new thing. And he does have a new narrative. He does have a new thing. That's where he started from. And so again, it just goes back to the complete dishonesty of his position. I and, agree totally. But ultimately I just, you know, people are going to believe what they really want to believe. And all, sadly I see him more of a symptom than a problem. He's a symptom of, of the church, of the church, just continual, you know, taking opposite stands than than um, there's taking stands on issues contrary to to what the membership knows and believes, and that harms their own credibility. When you have, um, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I I still wa I like to watch General Conference still, and I know I've I've got some friends who do, and they like to watch it because they're looking for aha aha aha, <laughs> um, you know. But I I actually try to watch it because I'm looking I'm trying to find things where I can still find common ground. I'm hoping to find talks that I can say you know what I love that and I believe that and that inspires me. And you know, oftentimes us I can still find those, um, but sometimes I don't. And one of the things that I noticed was is that you know you don't see President Nelson himself going out there saying I'm infallible. But what you do see is everybody else coming out there saying <laughs> right. that he's infallible, and you don't see him correcting them on that. And that kind of creates this attitude that when, therefore, when you know when you 
when you're when you know that these vaccines are dangerous and he tells you to take those vaccines and then you have you know other apostles and and leaders make claim claiming that that was revelation and inspired and infallible well that's that that's that's a that's a hard that that's 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 i unfortunately i think that's really at the heart of of what's happening here i think right. that's and 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 justin griffin and this and this movement these remnant movements denver snuffer all of that it's a it's a symptom of of a sickness and so and into so to a certain degree I'd, I'd prefer people stay in the church that's probably the best place for most people to be but if you're looking for to add upon that is what i would say if you're looking to add upon that then then i think that fundamentalism whether independent or maybe if you find some organization out there that that resonates with you as the right place for you to be that might be that might be an okay answer but certainly certainly if you're just going to fall away if you're just going to abandon abandon your faith i'd rather see people go into fundamentalism than go into doctrine of christ or or denver snuffers organization or the watchers or any of these other kind of modern remnant type um um organizations these basic you know modern whitmerite organizations that are trying to rewrite history because i that's that's to me that's just yeah the the doctrine there is ultimately leading people away from away from at least a celestial glory um if not away from christ entirely i couldn't agree more with you justin well, dude, we just did two and a half hours. So I think we'll wrap up. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. Um, I want to have you back on to talk about health and fitness because you're, you're a health coach as well. Yeah. And, uh, would, you, would you mind coming back on? Sure, I'd be happy to. That sounds awesome. All right. Well, I think with that, we're going to wrap up. Good stuff, Justin. All right. Till next time. Bye, everybody.